When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna call it now. Good evening and welcome into Extra Time here on SENZ with Ricardo with you through until 11 o'clock tonight. Uh, This hour, the focus is going to be very much on rugby union, rugby league, lots of news out of the All Blacks, lots of news out of Manly, of course, and the West Tigers as well. We'll get to all of that, plus the Warriors named their team for the match against the Melbourne Storm here on Friday night as well. We'll hear from Sean Johnson on that. We'll hear from Ian Roberts on the Manly situation. Of course, there's uh, potentially a new All Black in the in the offing as well. If you haven't heard, Offa Tuanga Farsi is out of uh, South Africa due to a neck injury. Fletcher Newell from the Crusaders has been sent over as cover. Uh, so lots to cover in this hour about that. Uh, we also gave coming up after 8 o'clock, Marco Rojas, uh, the all-white, been playing at the Melbourne Victory last season. Now he has signed for Colo Colo in uh, Chile. They are the top team in Chile, basically, one of the two top teams. They play in the South American version of the Champions League every year as well. I caught up uh, with Marco Rojas earlier today. I'll play you that interview about the move, how it came about. Also, Kate Taylor from the Wellington Phoenix uh, women's team. She's just signed. She is the sixth player they have signed in the last week or so. She's going to join us around 8.30. After 9 o'clock, we get into some combat at sports because it is Rumble on the radio. Uh, Chad Milnes and Mike Ango are going to join us to talk boxing and UFC. Also, Nipia as well uh, from Staff Show is going to jump in. He's a UFC nut and uh, he's going to go through the card with us a little bit later on tonight. After 10 o'clock, Eric Thompson is going to join us to talk motorsport. We're going to hear from Brett Cameron as well, the new signing from the Hurricanes. Uh, obviously a two Turbo. Uh, he's been playing up in Japan. Here's the new 10 for the Canes. I caught up with him today. We'll play you that interview. And Brendan Nell out of South Africa as well. So plenty coming your way in the next four hours. Let's hear though from the, the man of the moment, the latest man to be part of this all Black coaching setup, Jason Ryan. He spoke today at All Black headquarters. Jason, how have you your first couple of days uh, in camp with with this team been? I'm sure it's a, a bit full on trying to get up to speed with everything. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of moving parts uh, to the All Black machine, that's for sure. But uh, oh, look, the boys have been outstanding, and, and the coaches and the management staff have been really, really supportive and trying to get my head around everything, all the calls and um, how the, you know the camp was going to run and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, there's, there's still plenty of work to do, but it's, it's been good. They've been really welcoming and I love it being here. What are the, the, the key areas that you've identified that need to improve with the All Blacks pack? Well, we're going to stop malls. 
um, that's for sure. So there's a little bit of work that needs to go in, into that um, in our contact area. And I, I just think there's, um, you know, we've stripped a little bit out of our um, stuff today and just concentrate on the critical few things and just be a little bit more clear on what we're trying to do, which will help our contact area really. Bit of a baptism by fire, is it going to Africa for your, your first two tests as forwards coach? Yeah, you wouldn't want to get any better, would you? Um, honestly, can't wait. There's, there's no better um, environment or country or team to test yourself um, as a forwards coach. But in, in all honesty, it's about the boys, you know, it's about the All Blacks and where this team's at and, and where the four packs at, at, at the moment. Uh, at, at the moment, and you know, we've got to be fast learners um, pretty quickly. Yeah, how difficult have these two days been, and that you're trying to change a lot, you're trying to cram a lot of stuff in, but at the same time, not panic. Look, I haven't tried to cram a lot of stuff in. It's actually been the opposite, Sav. I've actually um, taken some stuff away and just given them two things. It's been my whole focus um, for the pack is what, what we've tried to work on. Can you tell us what those two things are? Oh, we've done a lot of work around our mauling stuff, obviously, and um, you know, we've done a bit in the contact area there. and um, Just getting to really understand what they're trying to achieve and what they're really trying to believe in um, has been the big one. Is this stuff you could see in those Irish games that need to be improved? Yeah, I think everyone could see it. Um, you know, the boys were really disappointed, and you know, there's no mistake, there's no hiding from it. The, the All Black Pack has it's been dented. Um, it really has been in the jerseys. You know, we talked about it in the Fords meeting today. We, we didn't hide anything. We, we were really, really honest, and we have to be. And um, we've got to get on with it. So the players believe that the jersey has been dented, so to speak. Yeah, well, we talked about it as a Ford Pack. We were, you know, we were disappointed, but, but we'll move on and we'll get better quickly. We have to. Some are still asking why you've decided to take on this All Blacks gig under extreme pressure um, when we've always associated you with the Crusaders and Scott Robertson. Why, why did you decide to take on this? Yeah, I'll answer that really clearly. It's a chance to coach my country and it's a dream to always be an All Blacks forwards coach and can't wait to get into it. Did you chat with Scott Robertson about the role and did you sort of clear it with him, so to speak? Yeah, we had some combos. And um, yeah, we worked together 12 years, so let's not hide from that. I'm a loyal person and uh, we had a good good chat and a good coffee and he wished me all the best and it was, it was a good moment. Do you sort of, can you recognise a little bit of irony in you being on Fraser's ticket first time round and now you're coming on Foster's? I'm on the All Black ticket. Chase, um, uh, you know, was, that, was that a difficult conversation with him, Jason? Oh, like I said, I'm a loyal person, so initially it was. I care a lot, you know, he's done a lot for me. As I said, he was really supportive, which was all I wanted. When you're outside the All Blacks environment, Josh, you've probably got an idea of what it's like inside the environment. Coming into it, is it what you expected? It's probably everything and more. Um, the boys are really diligent. Um, they care a lot. They know where they need to be. Um, but we've got to go and prove it. Any surprises? Anything you didn't expect? Um, no, really. I think it's pretty good. There's lots of kit. <laughs> so you've got your ankle tape, have you been... Yeah, I've got blisters the first oh. day, yeah. So <laughs> blisters off your new boots. Yeah. <laughs> have you had a chance to look at the box games against Wales and what their forwards might bring against you guys? Yeah, nothing's, nothing much has changed. There's a lot of respect for them. Um, immense respect for them as a, as a full pack. So uh, we're looking forward to getting over to South Africa and as I said before, there's, there's nowhere really we'd rather be at the moment. The Crusaders have done a pretty good job of defending the line-out drive um, over the past few years. How much of what you've done with that pack and that group do you bring in to this team? Yeah, look, we've 
we've got to do things, um, the All Blacks, and what's going to work for us. Um, and I, I think that's been probably built up over a long period of time, whereas we've got a test match you know, just over a week. So we've got to get some things in place really quick, but just a couple of critical few things, and I'm confident that we've made some progress today on that. Yeah, fantastic hearing Jason Ryan speak. It's a breath of fresh air. Uh, somebody uh, has mentioned to me uh, today, well, actually, not even just today, while that was playing, uh, Ryan speaking is like a different universe. Maybe he should work in comms. Maybe he should. Maybe he should. Um, I think that's a great call. And, uh, yeah, he's a breath of fresh air. It sounds he's not uh, wheeling out the same, uh, you know, sort of cliches over and over. He's, he, he's speaking and uh, saying what he thinks, and uh, yeah, it's good to hear from Jason Ryan. Uh, can you get your thoughts on that as well? And uh, your thoughts on Jason Ryan being in part of the setup and uh, what you think he brings. So you can give us a call on 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us 8833 as the temper bed post text machine if uh, you want to get in touch with us that way. Uh, we also heard from a few other members of the All Blacks camp. We'll get to those a little later on, but when we come back here on SCNZ Extra Time, we're going to head to South Africa, catch up with Brendan Nell and get a South African point of view on the ABs coming over there and what they've seen uh, from afar. You're on SCNZ Extra Time and joining us out of the Republic is uh, Brendan Nell. G'day, Brendan. How you doing? G'day, guys. Yeah, good. Always good to be here. Always good to have you on, mate. Always good to have you on. Of course, uh, you're busy, man. I, I was I was on your YouTube channel the other day, and I've got to say, do you know anyone that can do captions? Because I was I was trying to uh, I was trying to check out an interview, but it was all in Afrikaans, and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting for YouTube to roll out that feature, but but those questions are basically the English questions redone for the Afrikaans guys. There's very every now and again you get a, a perler that comes out there, but um, for the most part, it's just. You know, sort of ticking the boxes. The guys have asked it in English already. So, ah, right, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. We'll keep up the good work. I uh, love your YouTube channel and all the work that you do uh, writing rugby in the Republic. And of course, you're getting ready to welcome uh, the All Blacks over as well. I, I don't think there's probably been a time that South African rugby fans uh, have ever more looked forward to the All Blacks getting to your shores, has there? I think we, I think we pretty much look forward to it, to it every year. I think it still holds a very special place here. But I, I think I'd rephrase it. But I don't think an All Black side has come to South Africa, uh, if, well, since probably ninety five, ninety six. Uh, yeah, being under so much pressure. Um, yeah, normally it's the other way around, and the Springboks have got their backs against the wall, and there's all sorts of questions about them. So, yeah, in the professional era, we certainly haven't seen an All Black team come to South Africa with so much pressure, and, and I think. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an intriguing battle because while you you would favour the box, um, you know, at at home, uh, they haven't beaten the All Blacks since 2014 in South Africa. So um, yeah, it's it's not going to be an easy game for us. And I think anybody who's saying it is is it probably needs their head checked. So what's what's been the reaction over there to the All Blacks losing that series to Ireland, the way they lost it, and then the fallout from there? Well, I think it's been it's a bit of amusement because look, I mean, we obviously know that we've been playing a lot against Irish teams in the URC. So, you know, we've seen the level of organisation and, and a team like Leinster, which is with 12 of that Irish team, uh, you know, it's basically Ireland um, and how good they are and how they how clinical their processes are. So uh, it wasn't that much of a surprise. I think the more the surprise to us was maybe just, you know, the all-black forwards about how, and, and how the All Blacks have succumbed to the pressure at times, and uh, we haven't seen that for a long time. And I suppose, you know, there's a bit of a debate of how much, how much, you know, losing South Africa out of Super Rugby has left that, and, 
and you know, as as we're not not saying we wear the northern hemisphere, isn't saying that it's basketball or rugby, but you know, you you sort of wonder how much they miss that sort of physicality and 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 just being used to that sort of physicality and and especially in terms of like the rolling mall and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's 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 been interesting. I think as a media guy, I, I found the, the 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 media the handling of of the third test lost and that whole media blackout quite bizarre because um, I think I agree with a lot of the guys who've written stuff on, on your side of the world saying, yeah, that's not what you do after the test match. You front up and taking five days certainly doesn't help. And in South Africa, I think it'd probably be seen the same as it was in New Zealand. But yeah, I think uh, I think we're not quite sure where we are because we haven't really played each other that much in the last couple of years. Um, you know, we're not quite sure how to handle that because we don't know if, if are we that good or are the All Blacks just bad or, you know... <laughs> Yeah. I think there's a bit of both at the moment. We're not quite sure. I think they'll be settled in the next few weeks, though. Well, I look back to last season, you know, and we played you twice up in uh, Brisbane and uh, or Gold Coast. And, you know, the first game, I think we beat you with a last gasp penalty, but we didn't really deserve to win that game. And then we were probably reasonably well beaten, more well beaten than the score suggested in the second. So I would say you've probably got the wood on us at the moment. Um and I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember a All Black coach being under as much pressure as Ian Foster ever, really. <laughs> well, I mean, I was chatting to a colleague of mine, Gavin Rich, who, who wrote John Mitchell's book, and he, uh, he reminded me that Mitch was fired for a lot less, uh, for <laughs> quite a bit less than the, the, the Ian Foster's done, you know. And uh, I know Mitch is not the most popular guy uh, ever in New Zealand, but uh, yeah, he certainly, he certainly had a very good record. And you know, we look at it, we kind of sort of smile because Springbok coaches tend, if they get a sixty-eight percent win record, uh, you know, it's considered quite good. Uh, in the professional era, and so, so it's quite quite interesting to us to see that. But I suppose the the, the bigger the bigger thing is, yeah, uh, yeah, we both can probably stomach losing to each other more, uh, but losing to to Ireland and France uh, four times out of five, uh, yeah, probably probably is not going to go down this side of the world if that happened either. No, yeah, I wouldn't go down well at all. Uh, I tell you, you know, you mentioned uh, John Mitchell there. This is how much that has stuck in the craw of New Zealand sporting fans. His son Daryl now plays for the Black Caps, and he scored a wonderful hundred against England uh, in the recent Test series there. And uh, one of the uh, one of the senior sporting writers over here I saw on Twitter say, "Wow, Daryl Mitchell, even Christian Cullen likes you." <laughs> Well, as I said, I know I know John wasn't the best. <laughs> he didn't have the most fans in New Zealand. He he, he tended to be a polarizing figure. A damn good coach, but uh, um, tended to be quite a polarizing figure, as these top coaches tend to do at times. But yeah, uh, yeah I think I think it's going to be an interesting test series because yeah, you say we've got the rubber, the Willoughby. The problem is, yeah, the one thing we've always seen about the All Blacks, and I think what we were surprised in those second and third tests against Ireland is is that yeah they they excellent poachers. And that first test where yeah two drop balls, two tries, you know, it was a different ball game and Ireland didn't allow them that. I'm I'm not quite sure while while the All Blacks aren't maybe at, at their best at the moment, I'm not quite sure the box are at their best after the Welsh series. They uh, we tended to be create a, a lot of chances but not finish many off. And I suppose the big worry is that, you know, you drop two or three balls and there's two or three tries and then suddenly you're, you're chasing the game. So I, I think there's a bit of apprehension about those of us who follow the game closely. I mean, you always get your your your, your loud mouths here and they're shouting 2-0 and things like that. But, uh, you know, the rest of us are the same, well, you know, we should be able to beat the All Blacks up front. But, um, yeah, there's always that worry about the two or three drop balls, what happens there. 
Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting. And I'm also interested to see how much of a difference Jason Ryan can make, who's been added to the group in a short period of time. He has been the Fords coach at the Crusaders. Since he's been the Fords coach at the Crusaders, Brendan, here's a, here's a bit of trivia for you. I think it's been five seasons. They've only conceded two tries from line-out drives. Yeah, I know, but there's a bit of an asterisk on that one. I mean, they, you haven't played South African sides for three years. And, and let's be honest, in those two previous years, the, the Crusaders were dominating everybody at that stage. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, not to take away from what he's done. I think, I think a new coaching structure takes time. Um, and I think you'll probably only see the fruits of it later in the year. Uh, but but saying that, I mean, we we're not going to underestimate the the desperation. Um, you know, New Zealand is a proud nation. We know we know what rugby means to to New Zealanders, and we know the players are going to be feeling the heat. So, yeah, the the, the box. I always point back to that fifty-seven nil um, few back, years back, and how the box in two weeks turned the bit around and that probably should have won in Cape Town that one point loss that they had. You know, the, we we. Yeah, I mean, so, so we are a bit concerned about that, you know, and in in terms of that sort of uh, backlash that could come. But um, you know, I think the box are, are pretty much a good space. Uh, like Ireland are are probably New Zealand's bogey team at the moment. Wales are probably the, the Springboks bogey team. They play a very so- similar sort of yeah rugby and, and know how to disrupt us. So um, I'm not quite sure. I think the forward battle is going to be key, and if, if the box in that third test really started hitting their straps. So if they do that in the in Nelspruit, um, yeah, it, it might be it might be a, a bit of a tough day for the at the office for the All Blacks. But yeah, there's not, nobody over here is really underestimating the All Blacks. I think we're all hoping for for a big big block win, but um, I don't think we we're getting too confident. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the 57 nil. I did see a meme somebody had put together of the old uh, Scooby Doo crew uh, pulling Ian Foster's head off, you know, like it's a mask, and it's Alistair Kutsia underneath. Um, so uh, I don't know if that one's made its way to you yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find it for you. I'll send that over. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, of course, we've got a, a lot of youngsters in the in the pack now. You know, we saw uh, Carl Tuinukuafi, uh, uh, who's headed off to Marseille at the end of the year. He's been dropped out of the squad. Ethan de Groot's been brought in, but just heard today, too, that Offa uh, Tuangafasi is out with a neck injury. So they brought in Fletcher Newell, who's only 21, 22, I think, out of the Crusaders. So, yeah, so, uh, they're big boys and they're powerful boys, but they're, they're pretty young. Yeah, and I think that's the one. I mean, there's no bigger place than the Welsh coach Wayne Pivak said it quite quite often, you know, during the test series that there's, if you're a young guy scrumming, there's no bigger test for you at the moment than the Bok Pash, just because they have, you know, those two front rows. They've actually almost close to three front rows now that they could send down at any time. And, uh, you know, with Vincent Koch and Thomas Detoy as well, adding to those. Yeah, and, and, and they tend to, you know, put the pump on and, and I think the, the, the frustration yeah and it depends a lot again on Angus Gardner uh, in that first test because in, in that second test where they played the youngsters against Wales uh, that final you know, final scrum they should have got a penalty there but Angus Gardner wasn't going to give the box a last minute penalty after they got a last minute penalty the previous week uh, that's Mike Packard that's at least um, so yeah the, the box like to keep the ball in and they like to you know, use that pressure and soak up and that's energy sapping as well for a young, a young prop forward so that's going to be another interesting, uh, you know, sort of battle between the sides. The box are pretty settled with that. Although, you know, even against Wales, I don't think they were quite as dominant as they were in the Lions series and you know, some of the other games they were up front. So um, uh, I'm sure they're all working on that. They're in a camp at the moment in the low felt, very close to Nelspruit. So, um, 
it's going to be interesting to see how how they come across there. But yeah, the All Black youngsters are going to be tested. Yeah, definitely going to be tested. All right, mate. Uh, what do you make of the the box squad for this rugby championship? Um, I've looked at it and I can't see too many weaknesses. Maybe depth at ten uh, if something happens to Andre Pollard, but otherwise it looks pretty strong everywhere else. Yeah, I think I think well, the one thing that is, is there's one word which I mean coaches love to use they settled combination. I mean, you could virtually pick the the starting fifteen. Yeah, um, pretty easy. Uh, I, I suppose the worry is that you know, you've got guys who've won the World Cup, won the Lions series. How much you know, when's their sell-by date going to come? And I suppose there's a bit of a worry that might come before the next World Cup. And that's always the gamble. You've got a bunch of youngsters that come through in the URC, you know, who are pushing guys. But at 10, 10 is probably our biggest problem. Um, yeah, you, you feel a bit for the Bok coaches. Elton Yankees was injured, and his club didn't make the, the, the quarterfinals there in Japan. And so he didn't get any game time. So his he's 40 minutes at Loftus was his first really game time the entire year. And, and yeah, the South African fans are rather unforgiving. He didn't have a great 40 minutes, and the team was behind. So he got pulled. Uh, I think the emergence of Damien Willems uh, as a backup 10 is, is probably you know, a huge thing. And they've also now got Franz Steinbeck, who's for the time never seems to get old. Um, but yeah, if Andre Pollard goes down, there's, there, there are definitely a lot of question marks there. Um, the other interesting thing that's happened is, is that they've sent out a couple of messages by you know, dropping somebody like Foster Clark for that third test. Um, and dropping you know, Apalele Fassi and Marcel Katia for, for the rugby champs now. Um, you know, they sort of sent out messages players that aren't performing are going to stop being dropped. And, and I think that's that's probably a good thing in the, in the long run. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, this they, they, they're busy with a very interesting process at the moment where they're going to play the, the All Blacks um, yeah, second str- stringers in, in, in at the end of the year as well in the November tour. And they've got to play England without any of their foreign-based players. So you can see what they're trying to do there. They're trying to get a second squad together like the All Blacks have had in the past. And and there's a lot of competition for places at the moment. And yeah, that can only be a good thing. Um, I think the squad is settled. I think uh, yeah, everybody tends to be... Uh, Opposition coaches say it a lot. You, know, um, you, you, you never, the South Africans aren't going to surprise you with what they bring. Um, it's just how do you stop it? Um, and I think that'll be in Foster's thing. I mean, he knows the enemy. He's played them you know, as coach and assistant coach so many times. Uh, it's, it's no secret what the box are going to bring to the body. So, um, you know, how good are the All Blacks and how, how can they stop them? That'll be the real question. Uh, that will be the question, mate. Looking forward to uh, seeing what the answer will be as well, Brendan. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Always good to catch up with you, mate, and uh, hopefully we can talk again in between those first and second tests. So, Yeah, any time, guys. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating series. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you very much to Brendan Elf for joining us, and, uh, and he's right there. It's going to be a fascinating series. Keen to get your thoughts on that too. Double eight, double three. some of the things that he mentioned in there. Uh, the All Blacks. Um, Obviously, going over there, maybe a little bit underdone. It's going to take Jason Ryan a, a while to change around. It was interesting when I mentioned the uh, Crusaders' uh, record in the last five years under Jason Ryan from line-out drives, and he said, yeah, but you've last three years you haven't played any South African teams. And that's probably a fair point. Renanel, a bit of work to be done at the All Black end, but keen to get your thoughts on that. Double eight, double three, the Temper Beard Post text machine. When we come back, we're going to head to Australia, catch up with Scott Bailey and get the latest on the Manly uh, Pride and uh, Pride Jersey fiasco that's going on. 28 away from 8 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. Joining us out of Sydney from the Australian Associated Press is Scott Bailey. G'day, Scott. How are you doing? Uh, 
but I'm exhausted and I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. I, I beat you're exhausted. I've been following your Twitter feed. Uh, you've been very, very busy. I'm, I'm picking you right in other places other than Twitter as well, so you must have been non-stop on the keyboard the last 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I said to someone this morning that yesterday a player got charged with a um, with an eye gouge and it probably wasn't in the top three stories of the day. So, <laughs> rugby league, what a sport, hey? What a sport, mate. The, the, the uh, soap opera that keeps on giving. Um, we, we should talk manly, of course. It's, uh, I don't know... We, I don't, I don't know where to start with this because, I mean, I think the players are wrong, right? I don't agree with the players at all, but is there any blame that you can put on the club here? I mean, because they didn't give the players the heads up? I mean, where are you on this? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a bit the same as everyone. It's a, very, it's a pretty delicate issue, isn't it? I mean, look, the, the reality is, I think there's a lot of ways, you, there's a few ways you can look at this. The first one is that it's quite remarkable that an NRL club has, Essentially, I mean, they've risked sabotaging their season by taking by losing seven players uh, to stick with a pride jersey or an inclusion jersey, which is something, I'll be honest, I never thought I'd see in rugby league uh, in terms of that kind of um, statement in, you know, and the potential pain to a season. Because, you know, let's be honest, at every football club, winning and football is the number one priority. So that is quite the thing. Um, so the fact that they've stuck with it, that's, that's quite the thing. Obviously, it would have been a PR nightmare if it hadn't. But then by the same token, you know, I'm staggered that the club didn't consult the players first um, and, and tell them that this was part of their plans. It's interesting to note, I mean, since the start of the season, Manly have lost their CEO. Um, they are currently without a full-time CEO. The, the new one starts next week, so potentially it's a consequence of that. Um, you know, Coach Des Hasler today issued a 10-minute apology, which uh, my gut feel is you should never have to apologise for wearing an inclusive jersey. But it's more the way that the club handled it in terms of not consulting players and then, uh, I guess, the ramifications and the fallout, which, you know, is obviously pretty hurtful to a lot of people um, of, you know, many different um, minority groups, shall we say, and, and beliefs and cultures. So, yeah, look, uh, who's at fault? Well, honestly, who knows? It's just a whole mess of a situation is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting on that that whole point about having to, or do, whether or not they should need to consult the players on this. Because I would, I wonder, were players ever consulted that in a in a, in a women of league round that they were going to have pink in their jerseys? Or for Indigenous round that they were going to have, you know, um, Indigenous symbols on their jerseys? Because it feels like that's not something you should have to ask the players. It's just, you know, it, it's just been a good human being, right? Yeah, and you're spot on. Like, I know a, a player said to me last night, well, not necessarily pertaining to this situation, we're just talking about it. They said to me last night, well, often I don't know what jersey we're wearing until I see it. And it's true because, you know, you go to these, um, you know, you go to press conferences, say on a Monday or a Tuesday before Anzac round, shall we say, and, and the players model uh, the club jersey for the cameras and they, and they look at it and they say, oh, yeah, this is good or this looks great or whatever. So at, at that point, they're seeing it for the first time. So, you're right. There are, and, and that was kind of my thought last night too. There are a lot of jerseys in rugby league. I think clubs get six or seven a year from memory. I mean, we saw the Warriors run out the new one every second week, don't they? Mm. So, that yeah, clubs have so many different jerseys that players can't possibly be across which one it is all the time, and they're definitely not consulted. But you know, whether we like it or not, um, there's no question that this is an issue that has um, 
you know, it's divisive in some ways, rightly or wrongly. Um, and uh, especially when you consider cultural beliefs and, and religious beliefs, and I guess the the family, uh, from what I can make out, part of the issues with this with the players is questions that could arise from family members and whatnot um, from wearing this. Uh, I think it's fair to say that perhaps Manly should have been uh, aware of the need to consult players. Um, that's probably the reality. I don't think it's right to put blame on Manly, but that's probably the reality, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? Because Manly have gone out on a limb here. You know, they're the ones that have gone, uh, this is a pride inclusion jersey, and we're going to do it. We're going to front it. We're going to do it before anybody else. Because normally these things are done on on, on gr- as a group, right? All 16 clubs will do it at the same time. But they've they've gone out and done it uh, on their off their own bat, uh, the first club to do it, which they should be applauded for. Um, but do you know why they decided to do this when no one else was doing it? Uh, my, my understanding is it was it was offered to them and and they took it up essentially and other clubs hadn't. So like and and you make a great point because the reality reality is is that somehow out of this manly have worn criticism in the last twenty four hours, but there are fifteen other clubs who have stayed silent on this issue mm-hmm. uh, who did not make the choice to wear an inclusive inclusive jersey. Uh, they'll be at a full. You know, full strength as they can be barring injuries and suspensions this weekend while a club that has made the move towards inclusion uh, and has worn a special strip for it the first in the history of the game um, have been criticised and will be about seven pretty important players I would argue the most important match of the season so I do think you know no matter what you think people think of um, uh, the process that Manly went through and the lack of consultation and even what you think of the players' stances on this and, and uh, their boycott, I do think it's it's quite sad that the only club who made a move towards an inclusive jersey is actually the one that's going to come out of it at this stage looking the worst and the most punished. And, and, and thought it's worth just on your other points here in regards to a, a league-wide thing and, other, and a unified approach like we normally see in the Women in League round or an Anzac round. Uh, we did ask, or I did ask Andrew, sorry, Peter Valandis this morning, uh, whether an inclusion round could potentially be a thing on the NRL calendar next year. Uh, he said he's open to the idea. Uh, I know it's something that Ian uh, Roberts has pitched to the NRL uh, on a number of occasions now, hasn't yet got across the line. And you know, obviously, <laughs> out of what's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours, uh, I guess it's put it on the agenda, but it would also potentially make it a little bit more tricky for the owner on how they would actually navigate that. Well, I would imagine that this is going to uh, impact going forward, or it should at least. Peter Villandi should be having these conversations with the NRL lawyers. What player contracts look like going forward? You know, if you sign a contract with the club, which is effectively a contract with the NRL overall, you know, uh, I don't know if the Indigenous... Uh, jersey, the Anzac jersey, or the Women in League jersey are mentioned in those contracts. Maybe they need to be. Maybe they need to put an inclusion one in there, and it's part of your contract, and you can't get out of it. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, um, like I know uh, Peter's, Peter Milani's approach at this second is that players are free to take whatever position they choose on this. He, he doesn't necessarily agree with their position, um, but they are free to... They have the freedom, I think his words were... Um, you know, we live in Australia. Today, we don't live in Russia. We live in Australia. People have freedom to make the choice they want on on matters, um, and, and therefore these players are free to um, take whatever stance they choose if they don't agree with the NRL's uh, inclusive policy. I think he also said he feels sorry for people who don't 
um, agree with it because he doesn't quite understand why they don't. But, you know, for whatever reason they don't, for religious, cultural, family reasons. Um, it, but we are currently on the verge of a, a CBA negotiation between the Rugby League Players Association and, and the NRL that would take us through to 2023 through 2027 or 28. So potentially it could form part of those discussions. I don't know that they would write it into a contract, but what I think we could see is, um, you know, the players want a greater voice in the game. They want to be consulted more often. Potentially it would be, okay, we're looking at bringing in the inclusion around how can we take the entire playing group with us on this? How can we make it something that they would want to be a part of and would play in uh, with the NRL can make a statement without necessarily having players not want to be part of it and not... Uh, boycotting or standing themselves down from that round or those matches. What about uh, Four Pines or KFC or Points Bet or Pepsi Max? Some of the the uh, big sponsors of Manly, have we heard from them at all? No, we haven't yet. And I know in the last 24 hours that has been raised a bit in terms of uh, players happily wearing um, you know that sponsorship. But look, I, I'm not going to pretend to be across um, the beliefs of different churches when it comes to um, when it comes to gambling and alcohol. I know I, I had a quick look last night. And, you know, it's easier to find. Um, obviously, with Catholicism being the, um, I guess the the largest of the Christian denominations, I did have a quick look last night, and I saw that gambling is not uh, considered a sin necessarily, uh, according to the Catechism catechism of the Catholic Church. Jeez, I feel like I'm going back to school with that. But um, I don't know where it lays with other Christian nominations, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to guess because I think that would be pretty uh, silly of myself to do and anyone to do. But, uh, you know, I think there is, I guess there is a difference in some sense um, between those, and I'm certainly not saying that in defense of, of anything here. That, that's sort of where, from what I can make out where it stands. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to guess on that front. I mean, look, we saw a couple of years ago, Sonny Bill Williams, um, uh, was opposed to a few, I think, was it gambling, opposed to a few it things. It was a banking like, thing. It was a banking thing. That's right, it was a banking thing, wasn't it? That's right. and, we, and we've seen uh, cricket um, with different, I think it was Hashim Amla with South Africa. Uh, I think it was, again, a banking thing. But but that is, that's, that's the Islamic faith, obviously, and, and these flows are Christian. So it's, I've seen a few people make that connection, but that's certainly not um, at all accurately comparing what Sonny Bill Williams has done as opposed to, um, these guys. I tell you what, you want to if, if you're around at Sunny Bill's house, you want to lift the mattress, check for check for where he's hiding it, all, don't you? If he's, he doesn't believe in banks, geez. Hey, um, <laughs> Scott, I mean, I, I was asking you about about um, you know Pepsi, etc. More from the point of view of what are the sponsors making of this? But given you know uh, not not so so much what they deliver, but the fact that yeah. there's a club they sponsor, and this is what some of the players who. Uh, obviously, will appear at things for them, and will have their, will be wearing their logos. What you know, sort of, if there's been any thought from them on this at all? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I'll be honest, we haven't really heard from them yet. I'm sure it's something that will probably play out in the next uh, 24 hours as to what their thoughts are on it. I mean, um, yeah, it, it, I'll be honest. Like we have, this hasn't. I guess the story hasn't necessarily progressed to that point yet, but no doubt it will in the next 24 hours. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what position they do take on it because obviously sponsors do quite often become involved in this. But I wouldn't be surprised if they if they take a similar approach to that of um, of Manly in the NRL, which is kind of one of trying to appease everyone in this situation, which is of course impossible to do. But 
I, I don't know, to be honest, because I haven't spoken on it yet. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, the, in a way, the saddest thing out of all of this is that these players, um, you know, regard, well, you know, they have their beliefs, and that's you know, all well and good. But of all the clubs that it could have happened to, it happens to Ian Roberts' club, who's, you know, the first bloke to come out and say, yeah. hey, look, this is my lifestyle. Uh, and, you know, I've heard from him. He said, you know, how proud he was that his club were going to be doing this thing. Uh, and it must feel like a real kick in the face for him. Yeah, I saw last night he, he was quoted saying he was heartbroken. He actually held a press conference today uh, in Sydney where he, uh, I thought the most interesting in the key line out of it was that he said he was open to and willing and wanting to sit down with the uh, seven manly players who chose not to play in the match. And I guess, A, understand, you know, talk to them about their position, but also talk to them about why it was so important for him, what, what that jersey meant for him. Um, you know, and and it, that, that I think was... His approach was okay. This is obviously is heartbreaking, but potentially it can be a positive thing uh, going forward if it, it promotes more discussion and if it can lead to a, um, a pride round, which we see across different sports. We see, um, you know, Adelaide United in the A League host one. We see the Sydney Sixers host. Oh, sorry, they host a pride match as do the Sydney Sixers in the Big Bash over here. Um, the AFLW had a pride round um, this year as well. So. He he was hopeful, I guess, that there could be a positive out of it, and and it was sort of a similarish line, shall we say, from Daily Cherry Evans, the manly captain today, which was, you know, obviously in these situations, unfortunately, um, we've still got a long way to go in these discussions, and and as things currently stand, it's not really a topic, shall I say, that. Um, Everyone you know, seems to be on the same page with him and can be pleased with. But uh, the fact is that, yeah, like 17 players are willing and wanting to wear a pride jersey on um, Thursday night, which is something that we haven't seen before in rugby league, or at least in the NRL. Yeah, no, you're not you're not wrong, Scott. Now, just before I, I let you go, mate, um, is there any bloke who's happier that this is blowing up more than Ashley Klein right now? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, he has still lost his spot in the, in the bunker and on the field for this weekend. It was, it was, shall I say, funny? I don't know how. I guess it was funny. I'm not entirely sure how I felt about it. But um, this morning in the press conference at the Women in League uh, launch, uh, when we asked Peter Valandis about what the players was in the Tigers and if there was any potential that you know they could be successful in a, a fight to have their the result overturned and the two points awarded to them from Sunday's match, um, I think Peter's line was something like, "I just want to thank Manly for." essentially taking the spotlight off this situation. So, look, I, I think, yeah, I mean, while it's not a great topic for the game, I think it would be fair to say that they are, I'm sure there's a few people kind of relieved that the spotlight has gone off a very strange uh, captain's challenge, shall we say, that I still don't believe was part of the uh, process in the rule book um, that awarded a penalty to the to the Cowboys to win that game. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, it probably has served as a little bit of a distraction, just maybe not the distraction the NRL would have wanted. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right, Scott. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat, mate. Really appreciate it. Keep up the good work at the Australian Associated Press, mate, and uh, we'll keep following you on Twitter. My pleasure. Thanks, Ricardo. See you, Cheers. Mate. Thank you. Uh, Scott Bailey there uh, from the AAP. Uh, your thoughts on that or, and uh, your thoughts on his thoughts. I think he made some really good points there and, uh, you know, it's really clarified what's been going on, who said what, and uh, the stance of not just the club, but the NRL and the players as well. It is 11 away from 8 here on SENZ. 
It's seven away from eight o'clock here on SENZ. The Warriors named their team today to take on the Melbourne Storm on Friday. Here's Sean Johnson talking about what it means to be back in New Zealand and those team changes. Yeah, um, yeah, just excited again. You know, obviously, um, what happened a couple of weeks ago, sort of that's done with. But still, the excitement from the playing group to get back here and um, play in front of our home fans—that's not going to go away. Um, you know, probably this year or even when we're based here next year. So. Um, yeah, a bit of a buzz around the group just to be back in our own building. Toy was pretty strong after the Raiders game, saying some, some of you guys need to look in the mirror and, mm-hmm. and maybe reassess where you guys are at. Would you agree with that? There's maybe some soul-searching that needs to go on just individually? Oh, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying soul-searching, but it's not just some people, it's everyone. You know, like We can all um, take accountability uh, for some area in our game that we got wrong in the weekend. and. Um, Probably what we saw most in our review is that when you don't get your job done, the effect it can have on your teammates and impact them not getting their job done. Um, so yeah, certainly some frustrating points, um, in particular in that second half last week, um, which we need to learn from, you know, and we will learn from. Um, but yeah, sort of reviewed that game, put it to bed, and yeah, going to bounce into training and the game this week, you know, looking to I guess improve. What's made of the momentum swing that can happen in games? You saw it probably with Whiten and his kicking game. Can you feel that? slip away during games and, and how do you try and rectify that and get it back is it really difficult as, as it looks yeah like momentum's always you know it's when you got it you got it and it's when you're against it you certainly feel it um it, in terms of is it hard to get back it is because like i said if you if individuals aren't nailing their job the same thing will keep happening um you know, so those two big kicks by Whiten um, obviously shifted the game. You know, they, they certainly did. Um, but we still had an opportunity as a collective, like as, a, as an entire group, to, to stop it. And that's where we still fell short because mistakes are going to be made from individuals. But I just think at the moment our response to them, you know, it's just not quite up to scratch and we're not collectively buying into what we need to do to, um, I guess, get the ball back. You know, because just because they kick a 40 20 shouldn't mean they score a try, is what I'm trying to say pretty much. So. Um, that's sort of where we're at as a group. Um, a bit frustrated, obviously, with how the gear's gone. Certain things happen in the game, it might trigger some sort of memories or frustrations that it just feels like, a, here we go again. Um, and that's what some of the things we've addressed this week, and we need to obviously fix them up because we've not got it no easier this weekend against Melbourne. So there you go, that is Sean Johnson uh, talking after the team naming today. Uh, just the, cha- the big change is really, I mean, Jack Murchie unavailable through injury, same with Jesse Arthurs. Reese Walsh is back in the team uh, at fullback. And Marcelo Montoya has gone into centre because of Arthurs' injury. Um, Edward Cossey comes onto the wing for him. Chanel Harris-Tavita goes back to six. Dejan Arce misses out on the 17 altogether, which feels a bit harsh. And uh, Freddie Lussick will wear the 14 jersey this weekend. Up next, Catch up with Marco Rojas and we talk his move to Chilean champions Colo Colo and what that means for his career. This is Extra Time on SCNZ and uh, joining us uh, from Santiago, Chile is uh, all white Marco Rojas and now the number 10 for Colo Colo as well. Uh, Marco, thanks for joining us and uh, giving us some time. Thank you for having me. Uh, what does it mean for you to join a club of the standing of Colo Colo, especially with your family connections? Yeah, it means a lot. Um, it's been a really exciting um, couple of weeks. Uh, very exciting for the family um, in terms of opportunities that I've had. This will, I can see that this one means something different to a lot of them. Um, and it's exciting to to be spending time in the 
in the country where my father was born, where part of my family grew up and reconnecting to, to those roots. How, how have you settled in? I, so, I suppose, you know, with a Chilean dad and speaking um, Chilean Spanish around the house, I suppose it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot smoother than it would be for most Kiwis? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I will still be, I'll begin practicing and like um, taking classes real soon in order to just complement what I know and try and keep up with with the Spanish that's that's here. There's a lot of um, different dialects and a lot of different uses of language um, that would be nice to pick up, especially in the changing room. It's quite fast tempo, so um, I managed to get by, and it, it's helped a lot. Um, and I guess it's kind of it's been good because it's allowed me to feel more comfortable and maybe my teammates to feel more comfortable around me too because they I'm able to talk to them a little bit or enough for them to gauge um, what type of a person I am and I think that helps speed the process up. It's funny you talk about the dialects and things because um, my mum's family are Italian, right? They came out here after the war. But the dialect that they speak here and that they've just spoken amongst themselves is an old Venetian dialect. And if they go back and speak it over there, it's like they're speaking in 1940s Italian and people laugh, you know? Yeah. So is, yeah. that, is that sort of something you haven't overcome as well? Yeah, for sure. Like um, any conversation with me at the moment is much slower than what their normal conversations will be. Um, but I appreciate it. Everyone's taken the time. They've given me that space to, to get my sentences out and to to try and practice and they know it's important um and whenever someone speaks really fast or like if we're stretching or preparing for training and they're in a big group i just kind of keep keep quiet because i can't keep up with, with the speed of the conversation it's it would be quite similar to to your um to their predicament to yeah a lot i think even for dad like dad was here for the first couple of weeks to help me settle in and to help um because obviously he was part of the deal. He was part of the deal as my my manager and the person that looks after me. Um, and even for him, it's quite it's quite a change. So for me, it's it's even more than that. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. I can imagine. How did how did the opportunity come about? Because I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen you here and we've seen you Australia. We've seen you up in Europe. Uh, so how did the opportunity to go and play for Colo Colo come about? Yeah, um, just at the end of the. Oh, there's a bit like a few times throughout my career I I have thought about coming to Chile to play I've always wanted to live here and um, experience uh, and reconnect to to that side to that culture like I mean that's been half of my half of my family you know half of my how I grew up um, part of essentially who I who I think I am and mm. it's uh, I've always wanted to take that opportunity to spend more time here and, and just connect a little bit more to that side. Um, it was after the uh, after the playoff game against Costa Rica. I think two or three days after that, Dad, Dad rang me and said that um, this time the club that got in touch was with Colo Colo. Um, so... He'd been, I don't know how long he'd been speaking to them for, but that was the first time I'd heard of it. And then I, I spoke to a couple of members of like the director and the coach and um, worked out a space where I was able to get a bit of a break because we were coming on at the end of the season and then mid-season. So I was, I was able to get home and see family and then come in here and 
and um, signed the deal, which so it kind of, um, for me, it came as a surprise, um, came out of nowhere, but maybe the best time because I was just weighing out what my options were and finding out what was, was going to be the best opportunity for me. Did you have other options? I mean, I would imagine the victory wanted to keep you, right? Yeah, so that was that was one of them. Um, I think maybe in the A League would have been other ones. I hadn't spoken to too many outside of that because I really wanted to to take some downtime before I decided. Like uh, the couple of period, the couple of years through COVID and the changes that had to our season, um, to everyone, I guess the effects that it had. On top of that, like some family family things and. Um, the playoff as well like I just wanted to to wind down for a bit um and so it was more of a way up of this experience over staying in the A-League and for me this was the most enticing thing to, to come and do yeah well I mean looking at it from you know somebody who's not a player but who's a football fan I you know I know Stuttgart is a big club but this feels like another level again in terms of Stuttgart aren't really a Champions League club, whereas Colo Colo are a team that plays in the Copa Libertadores, you know, most seasons. So from that side of things, is this the, the biggest club you've moved to, do you think? Look, it's it's hard to say. And to be honest, I'm not I'm not big big on comparing and putting teams up against the other, like Europe and South America, two different Football entities, in a sense, it's entirely different ways of playing, ways of ways of being. Um, I, I kind of look at it as, and the reason why this was why it excited me the most was that it was a huge opportunity. Like, not only was I going to be able to fulfill this idea that I had in my head to come and live in Chile, I was going to be able to play football at the same time, and I was going to have the opportunity to do it at um, a huge club. Over here, like one that plays, like you said, international club football, um, and that was—it just seemed like the, it was almost the perfect, uh, like everything just came together, and it was there was it was just a resounding like yes, all right, I want to do this, um, let's go. And since being here, like that's only been confirmed. Like everyone's been so supportive at the club, like my teammates and. So much appreciation for the way they've they've helped me settle in. Like it's been an awesome, awesome couple of, of weeks football wise. How long before you think you make your debut? Because I know there's a big game this weekend. Yeah, a very big game this weekend. Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, I come off a bit of a off season, um, and they're they're in the middle of theirs, so I've got a little bit of catching up to do in that regard. Um, I. I almost got through the first week. And there was one day where I had to just um, re- remove myself from training in order to kind of be okay for the next day. Um, so, but if I can finish this week physically, feel good, then I, I will. That would be a great step first, um, and then hopefully, I don't know when the debut will be, but hopefully it's not it's not too far away. In terms of uh, your position, uh, you know, it seems like as you've gotten older, you've drifted more from being a wide forward or a winger into into the middle and more of a playmaker. Uh, what were the conversations like with the manager at Colo Colo in terms of where they saw you playing for them? To be honest, I didn't talk to them a whole lot about in that regard. I knew they wanted to, to look at me in a couple of positions um, and those fitted what, where, I, where I enjoyed playing. Um, 
when I was younger, like in school and club football, before playing for the Phoenix or before I started playing professionally, I played in the middle a lot, like in that number 10 position around in and around there. And then when I started playing professionally, I moved up to the wing and then kind of chopped and changed between the two. Um, I, I honestly don't mind. Um, <laughs> uh, and I didn't, yeah, like I said, I, it wasn't a huge conversation. Like for me, opportunity was just the overall opportunity was huge and um as long as it's in the attacking third like yeah, <laughs> it suits me down to a T. so um uh, i'm i'm not sure i i think maybe out wide but I, I like i said it's only been two weeks so it's hard to hard to gauge it properly yeah i mean it it feels like you know if uh... Have you got one of those boards at home with a with a map of the world on it and pins to everywhere you've been? Because it seems like you've covered a, a good deal of the globe. How how are you feeling about your career as you hit thirty? Yeah, pretty blessed. Um, very privileged. Um, a lot of awesome opportunities. Um, okay, it's been up and down, and Europe was really really difficult um, at times away from everyone and. Like intensely involved with the football world, like that was a lot. But I've learned a whole lot, a whole heap throughout that. Um, I understand coming to Chile now what what works for me, what doesn't. Um, and yeah, really blessed. Like, I, it's also why I decided to take this opportunity up because I knew that when I finished, I'd be able to look back on this and just have a really, I'd, I'd feel proud. Like I, I feel proud now. Um, for what it means for me, for my family, and just to be a part of this is um, it's really exciting. Really. What? Uh, how long have you signed for? How long are you at Colo Colo for? Um, till December 2023, so a season and a half. Yeah, cool, cool. And I mean, obviously, it's about um, cementing yourself and maybe making that a, a longer stay. Eh? I mean, is that is this somewhere where you feel like you could really establish yourself? That would be amazing. Um, yeah, like that's the challenge of professional football is you're competing against uh, some some of your teammates for those positions in the starting team. Um, I'm just going to take it slow. I, I, when I came here, when I arrived here, I did a couple of well, there, were a few, there were a few reporters at the airport, and I just kind of said like I I'm I'm going to work hard and I'm going to see where that takes me. Like the discipline that the working hard plus some of the talent that I've picked up over the years of playing, hopefully that uh, holds me in good stead and um, football changes so quickly. Um, but yeah, if it's hopefully goes in a positive way, then I'll definitely take a look at it at that point in time and see what happens. Like it would, like I said, um, it's, it's really exciting to be a part of this anyway. So to, to imagine a place where you can not only be a part of it but do quite well is um yeah i probably wouldn't be able to name an emotion or the height of the emotions that that might that might mean yeah fair, fair enough mate fair enough uh, you mentioned the uh, the all whites in the playoff against costa rica of course which was so disappointing for for all of us um you were crook unfortunately at the time you you've obviously uh recovered um now because you're, you're back in training but how tough was that not to be involved yeah, I, um, for lack of a better word, I used this phrase before it sucked. Um, <laughs> it was um, it was really, really hard. Like, uh, this was 
I think it was after the playoff with Mexico, um, Peru, to have a one-off in Qatar was something that seemed to be a bit more appealing, you know, like that there was more of a chance. And then um, I just didn't really feel well at all and wasn't going to be up for, for what was coming, unfortunately. And watching it on TV was... I, it was it was really frustrating and like the way the game played out it was just like it was really hard to take um until the game finished and i stepped back as an individual and was like i can only imagine what the rest of the boys and the coaching staff were feeling you know like to finish the game and to have it play out as it did um uh change kind of switch my attentions from myself to them and um how really hard it would have been for them to take uh, um, it sucked is the best way I can <laughs> I can describe it to be honest um, uh, I, but that's truly that's truly what it, what it felt like then. yeah uh, what about um, the next World Cup cycle uh, Oceania has one direct entry um, so yeah. there's a good chance that New Zealand can get there directly next time uh, I mean as international football and you know, when you're 33, 34, still something you want to be doing? Um, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's a little bit different now, obviously. I feel it, I feel the difference. Um, coming into this, like, small preseason, there'll be a few times where you go, like, even if I'm still moving really well, you stop you stop running around you go oh yeah that's right um, <laughs> i'm not that 21 year old i went to germany um this time um but i i'd love to you know like uh um to, to to think of um three or four years down the track to be still playing and playing well well enough to be selected for the national team um is a really exciting um uh, picture to, to see and um, if that's the case and I'm um, doing well enough to get picked I'd, I'd love to I'd love to be a part of that for sure mm, yeah good stuff Mark now before I let you go I'd like to do a thing where we do five quick questions to get to know you better are you, you up for that sure. yeah right. sure, let's go now every time I've seen you at airports at different places you've always got your headphones on so I know you're always listening to music. So if I grabbed your phone right now and flicked onto Spotify, what was the last song that you listened to? Um, oh, uh, oh, what was it? It was a reggaeton. It was a reggaeton song. I've been listening to a few podcasts too. That comes up quite a lot. But the last song would be reggaeton. I believe it was J Balvin. And I think the song was called Blanco. I think. Blanco, reggaeton. Is that a band or is that a style of music? You left it. Uh, left, sorry, left. that's a style. Yeah, I was yeah, going to have to bear with sorry. me. I'm old. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. That's a Latin American style of um, of music, um, which is hugely like prevalent now. Really successful. Yeah, cool. All right, mate. Well, what about? Well, I know you grew up here, but you obviously got Chilean roots. So, uh, who was your footballing hero growing up? Um, uh, there's a few Chilean players that I loved watching um, early on my earliest memories of 90 the 98 woke up um, Salas and Zamorano mm. they were pretty very successful strike force together and on their own successful careers 
And then after that, it was um, Matias Fernandez. I think that was his last name. I hope so. And Alexi Sanchez. Those were probably the main Chilean Chilean artists. Yeah. Yeah. Quality. Uh, what about if you've got a you've got a weekend off, no training, no game. You can eat what you like. What's your what's your cheat food that you're going to get into? What's your comfort food? Uh, brunch. A late, a late, um, a late brunch, and it's usually pancakes. Um, at times, uh, yeah, usually pancakes. So the last day off was yesterday. And it was waffles because that's what the cafe were serving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plenty, plenty of maple syrup. Um, there was that day. Yeah, it had been a hard training day the day before. So yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you've got a night off, but what's on the TV? Uh, you know, what's your favourite TV show or movie? Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of lot of it of late. Um, what do we got? The last, my favorite, or like the last, last little bit? Oh, your favorite? I love like a something that passes the time, like a, a few of the comedy sitcoms. Um, I went through Friends for a couple of times, uh, Big Bang Theory, of late, um, Modern Family. Uh, yeah, I usually kind of just watch it to to zone out. And, those would be, yeah, I think those would be the ones. Yeah, have a bit of a laugh, don't have to think too hard. Yeah, yeah, otherwise, um, documentaries, a lot of those. Um, but yeah, I'm, like, uh, I enjoy reading and bits like that, so I don't often watch a whole lot of people. Yeah, what are you reading at the moment? Um, right now, it's, uh, a friend of mine gave me a few books, uh, but I bought the Sonny Bill Williams book i really like it like he's yeah it's a really awesome insight into a um incredible person and athlete yeah turning turning that uh, marco rojas brand into a sunny bill type brand we're gonna see you in the ring soon uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no um, no i i do hope after football that i i do plan to keep active uh, but i i don't know how i'm gonna do that and i I'm pretty sure it won't be in that in that space now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marco. And finally, last question for you: Who's the most famous person you've met? Um, uh, Neymar at the Olympics. Um. Yeah, I believe. Oh. Yeah, probably. Him. I'm trying to think outside of football. Uh, I think briefly, uh, John Key might have been prime minister at a time, and they came down to see the national. He came down to see the national team, but that was like a quick handshake. Um, how many so, hands so was, was he shaking? At, how many hands was he shaking at once in that one? <laughs> Yeah, there are a few, there are a few, most of the whole team, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think that would be it, yeah. yeah I'm Neymar. sure I've missed someone, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. No, that's all good, mate. Neymar, Neymar's a pretty good one to have at the top. Did you manage to get a shirt? 
Nah, just a just a photo. Just a photo. Yeah, quality. Yeah. Hey, Marco, thanks very much for joining us, man, and giving us so much of your time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with Colo Colo, and uh, hopefully we can see you out there, put it in the back of the net shortly, eh? I hope so. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Thank you. 25 past eight here on SENZ Extra Time. After nine o'clock, it is Rumble on the Radio, talking fight sports with Mike Angove, Chad Milnes as well, and uh, Napier from... Uh, Staff's show is going to join us too and run through that UFC card. After 10 o'clock, we're going to talk motorsport with Eric Thompson and catch up with Brett Cameron, amongst others, who's just signed for the Highlanders as well. Uh, The under-20 Women's World Cup gets underway around the 10th of August and the New Zealand team has been named for that. Kate Taylor will captain the side. Millie Clegg, Ava Collins, Tui Dugan, uh, Brianna Edwards, Ella Finley, Macy, Macy Fraser, Riley Godbold, Aniela Jansen, Charlotte Lancaster, Zoe McMeekin, Ruby Nathan, Jana Niedermeyer, also Emma Pienenberg, Ava Pritchard, Murphy Sheaf, Marissa Vandermeer, T. Rero Moana Walker, Charlotte Wilford Carroll, Alyssa Winham, and Grace Wisniewski are the team. They their game's coming up Thursday the eighth. Sorry, Thursday the eleventh of August at eight a.m. against Mexico. Sunday the 14th of August at 5am against the Germans and Wednesday the 17th of August at 11am against the Colombians. Tough group. They have friendlies leading up to that against the hosts, Costa Rica and Brazil as well. And coming up next, Kate Taylor, the captain of that side, has just re-signed for the Wellington Phoenix women's team. She joins us shortly. 29 away from 9 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. And joining us now is the captain of the New Zealand under-20s team uh, that is about to jet off to Costa Rica and also, once again, a Wellington Phoenix player. Kate Taylor, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Congratulations on two fronts, being named the captain of the under-20s team for the World Cup and also uh, signing with the Phoenix again for a uh, second season. What does that mean to you? Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait and I think they're both very different but very exciting things and they both involve many different people and and different uh, personalities and and different um, kind of backgrounds and stuff like that so I think it's really exciting and I can't wait to, to get started on both journeys. Yeah, well, you got uh, yeah, one journey starting a lot sooner than the other one, that's for sure. We'll get to that. We'll talk more about the Under-20 World Cup soon, but I did want to talk to you about re-signing uh, with the Knicks, because I mean, this Phoenix team uh, that started last year was a very young team, uh, was thrown together very last minute. You, you were part of it, of course, and off the back of your performances in it, you got a Football Ferns call-up. So, what are you expecting this year? Yeah, I think um, this year will be a little bit different. Obviously, we're, we're based in New Zealand and um, we've already signed some really exciting people. Um, so hopefully this, this year brings a bit more development and we can um, hopefully get some more results out of, out of this, this season in general and some more wins and some more goals. And I think that's something we'll be pushing for. And, and personally, I'm hoping for a bit more consistency and, yeah, just a bit more fun. Hopefully, we'll have a bit more of a... Um, home kind of feeling being back here so yeah yeah a bit more experience in the squad too right I mean uh, Betsy Hassett was announced yesterday we had her on the show last night um, and of course uh, Paige Satchel is a great get getting her over from uh, from Sydney FC yeah definitely they're both amazing people as well I've been lucky enough to go on that Ferns tour and they were both there and 
they both bring um, very different qualities, obviously different positions, but both awesome people and we're very lucky to have them. I would imagine, given that you've got that sort of uh, experience now in the squad, I mean, I know we're only, we've only got, oh, we only know six of the squad so far, you being the six, <laughs> but I mean, it already looks like a, quite a different proposition and quite a different team. Um, and it's going to be a different challenge for the Australian teams who haven't had to travel before to come over here to play the games, right? So uh, I'm assuming that you guys are looking at this and saying, well, you know, uh, a minimum pass mark for us this season is make the playoffs, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously with the, the six or five other signings that we've had, they're all exciting and um, all exciting for people of New Zealand and they bring differences that we didn't, oh, well, we did have last season, but again, they've got more experience with with them. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'll be even more exciting this season to see what we can come up with and hopefully when the Aussies come over, we can pack the stadiums that we get to play in and it'll be some good good quality games for people to watch. Uh, how long have you signed for with the Knicks? Uh, just just this season. Just this season to start with? All right, because I know they, uh, obviously Betsy's back on loan from, from Iceland. Uh, Paige has signed on a one-year deal, so is Lily but uh, and, and uh, Mackenzie Barry as well. But Alyssa has obviously signed a two-year deal, which signals that the club beyond the agreement with New Zealand football are, are committed to having a women's team as well. Um, the, the one-year deal for you, was that uh, uh, about giving you options at the end of the second season or was that just where the, how the club is wanting to go forward at the moment? Yeah, um, I know the club is definitely looking to invest. They know that the women's team, they're wanting it to, to be here for the long term. So I think that's where they're, they're looking at um, getting players in. But I think just personally, I think it will open up some options, hopefully. And and with the World Cup next year and under-20s this year, I think, um, yeah, it's just best to have my options open and, and see where the season goes and, and what kind of happens. Yeah, I mean, and I guess it's a, it's a great thing about having someone like Paige uh, or someone like Betsy there as well. Someone, uh, you know, players who have, who have played in several different places, who have travelled the globe a bit, can give you a bit of a, a steer on where you might want to go in your career. Yeah, definitely. Betsy's been all over the all over the world, and I think that's awesome. And obviously, Paige has some um, great experience behind her, and even some people that aren't in, in the Phoenix team at the moment um, or are playing somewhere else overseas. They all have great experience that they can offer us, kind of younger players that aren't quite sure um, aren't quite sure, you know, what the world is like in terms of football. Obviously, they've experienced it firsthand, but um, we were lucky enough last year to be in that Phoenix team, but that's kind of as far as we've gone so far. So, yeah, they definitely offer a lot more off the pitch as well, which is great. Uh, Gemma is obviously, uh, Gemma Lewis is your coach, both both with the Phoenix and uh, with the under-20s. Um, what, do you, what do you like about playing under her? And what have you learnt uh, from that first season? You know, the, the player that you were at this time last season to, to where you are now. Yeah, obviously Gemma and Nat as well, the whole coaching staff are all um, kind of across both teams, which has been absolutely awesome. They they offer a lot off the pitch, which is um, kind of, they were the glue last year, which was absolutely awesome, and, and they have all the credit in the world for that. But they're, they're just themselves, and, and that's what I, I think helps us on the pitch. You know, they offer so much in terms of their knowledge and where they've been, and 
obviously they're not Kiwis themselves and I think that helps as well. They've seen, they have experience um, in what they've done so I think that alone helps us as players. Um, and obviously we're we're brave in how we play and we're a little bit different to how the Aussies play in both teams and so I think they're bringing us this courage and, and making us be brave and, and try new things and get us out of our comfort zones which is more awesome things. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting how that has worked for Jimmy. You know, she's in a situation much like Ricky Herbert was a few years ago, you know, in charge of the, the Phoenix team and the national team. So juggling a couple yeah. of uh, juggling a couple of things there. Um, in terms of um, last season, you know, you, you guys all lived in each other's pockets pretty much all last season because you were having to live together mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Australia. Of course, this season you'll be back home and, and sure there'll be a bit of travelling together and, and bunking together or you know rooming together as, uh, when you're travelling and stuff. But do you think while it was good to build the team that way, in a way, uh, having a bit of time away from each other this season might help you a little bit as well, mentally? Yeah, definitely. I think it will it will make the quality of time that we have together even more beneficial, and and it will develop us when we're all together. I think it's great for people to have that more of an escape, whereas we didn't really get that last year as Kiwis and as Aussies as well. But I think this provides us a bit more time away from football to ensure that we can come back in and be refreshed and ready to go. Now let's talk about the Under Twenty World Cup because uh, it's not too far away. I think you guys fly out in what four or five days. Uh, two days, Friday. Friday, two days even. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, not, not too far away at all. Um, and you've got warm-up games against the host Costa Rica and Brazil. And then you've got, of course, the uh, Colombians. Uh, you're going to play the Germans as well. And you're going to play Mexico. Um, how are you guys been preparing for that back here? Yeah, obviously the lineup that we've got um, is absolutely insane. And I think... For all of us, it's crazy to think that we'll be versing these teams and, you know, the, the space of a few weeks, it'll be very, very soon. And so I think our preparations have been um, quite generic, which I think is good in general, sorry, to to how we want to play. Obviously, we're playing a number of different oppositions, so to change your whole game plan would be um, crazy, insane, actually. But, um, yeah, we've just been doing what we can to to build on how we want to play and that's definitely the, the message that's being sent across the whole team. Um, we were lucky enough to play four games against Australia so that helped us tremendously and get some international kind of um, opposition. And then we've also been playing boys and most of us train up here together so it's been really good. We've had some great quality time um, on the field, on the training pitch in the not very nice Auckland weather, but also off the pitch as well. So I think we're building very nicely. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing as a as a change of st- you know a clashes a clashes of styles in terms of you know you're going to be playing Central and South American teams as well as the Germans. Um, uh, the Australian games for you guys, uh, I mean, was that about not only about combinations because I think you played them four times, but the fact that you beat them, um, you scored goals against them. That it's about belief as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we we played our first game and we lost 5-1 and so we came back the next time when we were over there and we drew and then when we played them first time over here, we won. So I think those that alone was um, big stepping stones for us and I think it was absolutely awesome. It, it brings more confidence and makes us want to work harder um, just in, in the small moments of the game that we can and so yeah, it was amazing. 
how how much tape have you been watching on um, South and Central American teams, given how I guess different they are to what you guys would encounter week in week out? Yeah, definitely they are a lot different. And even watching Silverton tape, you can see that. But um, we have been watching a little bit, not too much. We we definitely want to focus on ourselves because you never know what can happen, and they might come out and play completely different to what we've seen on on video. Um, but we have been having a look at, at some of the things, some of the key points that they kind of have across all the tape that we've seen. But, yeah, they're going to be great opposition and I think it'll be a real challenge for us, but we're definitely up for it. Yeah, Has there been uh, those discussions uh, in camp with Gemma and, and Nat and the, and the rest of the crew around uh, what, you guys, what your goal is for this tournament? I mean, you know, you go there, you want to get out of the group, right? I mean, has there been goal setting so far? Um, indirectly, I think we've we've had little discussions about it. Um, but I think in general, everyone wants to win as many games as possible. And so I think the generic kind of goal at the moment is to get out of the group stage and, and see how far we can go. Obviously, that in itself is amazing and we were able to see what the under-17s did last World Cup. So to be able to do that or do better would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's a great opportunity to do it with a home World Cup not too far away as well. Put yourselves uh, certainly front and centre of, of Yitka's thoughts and uh, see if you can break uh, into the Fern squad for that uh, World Cup that's going to be held here in uh, Australia uh, next year. Um, before we let you go, Kate, uh, I'd like to do a quick five questions to get to know you, Betty. You ready for that? I'm ready. All right. Uh, if I grab your phone right now and, and scroll through your Spotify playlist, what was the last song you played? Um, that's a good question. Maybe Glorious by Macklemore? Uh, Macklemore. I think I've done about six of these now, and that's the first time somebody said an artist that I know who it is. So thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Making me not feel too old. Uh, all right. Uh, what about uh, growing up? As a footballer and as a football fan, um, who was your hero growing up, the person that you looked up to as a footballer? Um, I remember I always used to like Rosie White. Obviously, she's a different position, but I just always thought she was an amazing player. And, yeah, I think I always liked the number 13, and that's what she had, so... I would definitely say Rosie White. Even yeah. though we're completely different positions. Yeah. Very good player. I'm not sure what she's doing at the moment. She's had a few injuries, hasn't she? Yeah, she has. Yeah, hopefully we can see her back on the park sometime soon. Uh, what about, then, uh, a comfort food for you? You've got the weekend off, no training, no plan. You can do what you like. Uh, what's the go-to comfort food? Ooh. Um, maybe a smoothie. I know that's probably not what most people would say, but I think, you know, you can make, you can create your own and design your own and add whatever you like, so maybe I'd say that. Oh, you can get a bit creative with it as well. Heck yeah. What goes, what goes into a, what goes into your smoothies? What's a, what's the all-time great smoothie? I would say mixed berries, banana, a little bit of protein, milk, Yogurt, maybe some peanut butter if I'm lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay, okay. I get you. It's still pretty healthy. I mean, if the coach is listening, she's like, okay, well, well that's okay. We'll take that off. Hey, uh, what, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're kicking back with a smoothie on a Saturday night, uh, what's on the TV? What's your favourite TV show or movie? Oh, I love the Fast and Furious movies. 
Fast and furious, eh? Much, much like you on the, on the on the pitch, Kate. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Definitely furious, right? You're a defender, so definitely furious. Yeah, I'll take that one. All right, take that one, mate. And finally, before I let you go, who's the most famous person you've met? Probably one of the football firms. It goes, it goes well with Alyssa Wynnum. She said flea, and I thought she was talking about the bass yeah, player from the Chili yeah, Peppers. Yeah, yeah, but oh. it's not, not the bass player from the Chili Peppers. Somebody else. It's Annalie Longo you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Good stuff, Kate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time on your Tuesday night, mate. Congratulations again on signing with the Knicks for another season and being named captain of that under-20 side. Go well, and uh, best of luck uh, on both ventures, eh? Thank you very much. Go well. Uh, Kate Taylor there, the captain of the New Zealand Under-20 women's team, off to the World Cup shortly and signing on with the Wellington Phoenix for next season as well. It is 13 away from nine here on SENZ. It's nine away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, now, we've had uh, plenty uh, of football this hour with Marco Rojas uh, joining us out of Chile. Of course, Kate Taylor, the under-20s captain and signing for the Phoenix as well. Uh, some news been going on in the meantime, though. I've had a couple of texts about it. I've seen it breaking news. Uh, the All Blacks. You want some more? You want some more All Blacks controversy? Not wearing masks in the airport. Apparently not wearing masks uh, at Wellington Airport or in Auckland Airport is the word. A large group of them, a a man uh, who has decided to remain nameless, was on a flight with them and uh, apparently suggested to them they should be wearing masks and they told him to chill out. So uh, there you go. That is the, that is the latest. But I thought I'd address it because I see it is around. It is around. And of course, the All Blacks have been the talk of the town uh, because of the changes in the coach, the uh, team that they're annou- they've announced as well. And uh, there's been some changes. One of those is Fletcher Newell. He's come in for Ufa Tuanga Farsi for the South African trip. I missed a call from the All Blacks manager. Um, he texted me and said, "Has the All Blacks manager give me a buzz?" And um, I haven't rung anyone as quick as that before, so it's it pretty surreal um, when he gave me the news. Um, yeah, it's, it's just an awesome moment, and I really can't um, put any words together at the moment. What? Um, so, in terms of what you did next, did you ring your dad? I know you're really close to your dad. Yeah, me and my dad are really close, and um, yeah, I rang him really quickly, and he's just super proud. Um, pretty much rang my whole family after that, and um, yeah, it's pretty surreal. And um, everyone was really, really happy and um, we shared some really good moments. Yeah. What did your dad say to you? Could he speak? Yeah, he was a bit lost for words. I think he misheard me at the start, but um, yeah, he was stoked for me. He just told me that he's really proud and um, yeah, there probably weren't that many words. I can't really put them together, but um, it was a really special moment between um, me and him. Yeah. So what um, happens next? So you've actually got to train with Canterbury tomorrow, but yep. then you've got to actually get yourself organised to get to South Africa with the squad. Yeah, so tomorrow i um, train with Canterbury. It's, um, I'm actually really looking forward to it to help the boys um, build for a pre-season game against Otago this week. So um, it'll be good to get in there and connect with the boys. Um, and then on um, Friday, um, heading off, yeah. So. Wow. So do you feel um, a little bit sort of daunted by the task but you do know a lot of people in the team already. Yeah it's been awesome there's there's a number of um, Crusaders All Blacks and um, a lot of leaders in that environment so um, I'm really excited to connect with them like I have all season. Um, It is quite daunting but um, I'm just I can't wait to get in there and learn from everyone. Um, There's some really quality players in New Zealand and um, it's going to be a great opportunity to learn.
Now you've got Jace Ryan, and he's yeah. coached you for three years, so yeah. that's quite a that's a great relationship to start with, isn't it? Yeah, me and Jace have a really good relationship that we've um, built throughout the years, and um, I'm really excited to get in there and um, and learn from him like I've been doing, and he's been a um, massive contributor to my growth, um, and I can't wait to just keep learning from him. Now, in terms of um, your, what your plans are, a bit of a celebration? Yeah. Is that for dinner, or what's the story? Yeah, so we've teed up at dinner with all the family tonight, so um, I'm pretty excited to see, see all them and connect. Um, um, it's going to be nice to yeah um, connect with each other. Yeah. Now, um, for fans that don't know much about you, I know a little bit about you, because yeah. I know your uncle well. Yeah. You're a Rangiora boy, you know, Lincoln yeah. Rugby. Yeah. Um, yeah, played all my junior club rugby out at Ashley Rugby Club. Um, and then I uh, went to Rangara High School where I did my high school um, and then went on um, to play Lincoln University, um, currently studying at Lincoln University. Uh, what are you studying? Uh, uh, land and property management, so yeah, enjoying that. Cool, yeah. and then um, you've obviously come through the Canterbury Crusader system. Yeah, so um, played a season for Canterbury and then was lucky enough to um, sign with the Crusaders which has been awesome for my development. Um, so many quality players, um, so many leaders that I've learned so much from, um, and I'm just yeah truly grateful to be a part of those teams. This must have been one of the most surprising phone calls you got on a rainy, yeah. rainy day in Christchurch. <laughs> the weather's been terrible, so I've, I was just parked up at home, and um, yeah, I definitely didn't expect to get that phone call, and yeah, I still can't really get my head around it. There you go. That is Fletcher Newell, the latest All Black. He is a replacement for Offutt Tongafasi. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock this evening. Coming up a little bit later this hour, Brett Cameron, the latest signing for the Hurricanes for next season. He's going to be running around for the Manawatu Turbos in the Bunnings NPC as well. But it looks like he is the new number 10 for the Hurricanes. Catch up with him a little bit later on this hour. We'll also touch on the league a bit more as well. Uh, time though now to talk motorsport with Eric Thompson. G'day, E.T. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. And uh, honestly, it's a great time to be a motorsport fan in New Zealand because we've just got so many guys battling on so many uh, platforms across the world. Uh, and probably the highlight so far is, is Scotty McLaughlin and, and Scott Dixon going at it for a podium spot at IndyCar. Yes, and uh, especially in the, in the second uh, of the doubleheader weekend in the second race at Iowa, um, Scotty McLaughlin did get the podium with um, Scott Dixon coming in just behind him in fourth place. and in the, But Dixon had a better result in the first race of the weekend on the Saturday where he picked up a, a fifth and McLaughlin, I think, got a eighth or ninth. But it is quite... One of the great things about, and like everybody sort of said about um, Scott Dixon and, and even the people that have won the championships that he hasn't won, they said it, everybody's sort of said, and I've been lucky enough to chat to quite a few car drivers over the years, they said, you've got to go through Scott Dixon to win a championship. Now, he's only won one race this year. Joseph Newgarden picked up his fourth win of the season, but they're both tied on the same points. They're second equal. Wow. No, well, Newgarden is second in the championship and Dixon's third. And, and you sort of think about Scott, but if you look at the guy is just so consistent. If, if he's not if he's not winning, he's also not putting it in the wall and just picking up points after points after points. And I think there's about six rounds to go, Ricardo, and Dixon is just sitting there quite nicely poised. And he would be the last guy 
I would want to be, you know, sniffing up my tailpipe <laughs> towards the end of a championship. Seriously, mate. Yeah, he's... he's just... well, you know, and I think that's something that's interesting from, um, you know, because we see this in IndyCar, we've seen it in F1 as well. Some of those younger guys come through and they tend to stack it a lot. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, you, you know, you're talking about Scott McLaughlin. I mean, he's had a few... Uh, issues from a mechanical point of view, lost a lost a wheel uh, in Iowa, for example, and stuff. But he's not really stacking it either, is he? And, he? and he is putting together reasonably consistent performances without putting his car into the workshop too often. And, um, absolutely, and 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 we've still got to remember um, Scott McLaughlin did not come up with any open wheel experience. You know, he he did karting, then he went straight straight into tin tops. So he's had no open wheel or single seater. Uh, experience at all so to go into that championship and what already was he had two wins yeah um, since he's been there and um, you know he's challenged and you know to to have that sort of talent especially on ovals because (laughs) unless you're an American you don't grow up on ovals Um, he I, I, I think if he can just bed in maybe maybe next year I actually think next year will be the year he'll probably challenge for a championship. Mm. He's just got to get another season under his belt, learn how all the circuits work, learn how these guys race. Because if you look at IndyCar, it's so unlike Formula One, where nobody really wants to get anywhere near anybody, and the Formula One cars are like paper mache cars. If you look at them sideways, something breaks. But, you know, those Indy cars, if you watched at Iowa, they were banging wheels and clipping each other but but still racing on there's still that little bit of that elbows out which i think suits mclaughlin yeah to be honest yeah no i'd 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 agree with that and i mean you know in terms of dixon what you said there i mean he's consistently picking up points he's not stacking it Mm. uh he does even with new garden but new garden has had more wins so i mean if it does come down to tied on points wins do count don't they so he does probably need to bank a couple between now and the end of the season Oh, absolutely, Ricardo. You're right, absolutely spot on, that if they tied on points at the end of the season, and if, if, say if Dixon doesn't win another race, but Newgarden sort of puts it into the wall, picks up some, you know, a few more points, and they end up tied on points, of course, and count back, um, Newgarden will win the championship. And that's how Dixon won in 2000 and. Oh, eight or nine. eight or nine. Anyway, I'm sure some IndyCar fans out there will correct me, and you know, good on them. But Dixon won a championship against Montoya on countback because they finished the season on the same points. But Dixon had more wins than Montoya. Yeah. So that's and you know, you can't complain about that. You know, it's that it's you know, steady Eddie wins prizes, but you know, if you win races, I I think you should be rewarded to be honest yeah and that's fair enough that's fair enough i think i think that makes perfect sense hey uh what we're talking about those two kiwis battling it another couple of kiwis battling it out in formula two and liam lawson and lawson and uh, marcus armstrong and you know lawson got a win uh on the weekend too didn't he beating his fellow kiwi yes he did and uh, you know again it's just i don't know what it is with those two they have proven over the last two seasons in Formula 2, they can win races and be as quick as, if not quicker, than anybody else in that field. 
But again, it's just that whole consistency thing. Um, if you look at the, oh, what's his name, Drugovic, he's picked up points in every single race, bar one. And then you've got um, Paul Liam, points, points, nothing, 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 points, points, nothing, 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 points, points. And the same with Armstrong. It's just, it, it, what, what's the phrase? Okay. Feast or famine. Yeah. Rocks, rocks and diamonds. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's even better. Um, and it's just, but it is so nice to know because they've got the pace. They're both in good teams. They're both happy with the way, you know, everything around them. But, you know, it's, it, it, consistency is, I think you and I touched on it before. You know, points means prizes. So to get points, you have to be consistent. Mm. I mean, it's a bit like I'd have to say about, you know, Charles Leclerc. Yes. You know, that's that's the third race he's thrown away. They've got, they've got, I mean, that's, the car is fast, but it's not, as you said, it's not durable, is it? I mean, they, they, they seem to be able to put it on pole. Uh, they seem to be able to lead races. They just don't seem to be able to finish races. Yeah, but this is the third time the season that Leclerc has, no, in the last two seasons, the third time Leclerc has actually chucked it into the wall on his own. That's crazy. Whilst, no, whilst leading. Yeah, well, and and, what, and what's the what's come out about that? Is that they've had a, a steering failure? Is it a suspension issue? What's what's caused that? Him. <laughs> he tried to he, no no honestly he tried to say there was a throttle issue, mm. and 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 I'll, I'll I'll give the young fella ten out of ten for actually putting his hand up post race media conference saying actually no I made the mistake. Mm. And, and that's the third time he's, he, driver error, he's thrown away a race win when he's been perfectly miles ahead of anybody else. That's, so, I don't know. That's, that's, I mean, that's an issue for Ferrari for sure, uh, especially given the cars have given him this season. I mean, you know, oh. Mercedes have been nowhere all season, although I do notice they're on the charge a wee bit. But it's bet- between Red Bull and, and Ferrari, and Ferrari have been in a great position to get a first championship and, you know, since Adam was a cowboy. Uh, yeah. and, 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 their, and their number one driver keeps, you know, putting the car in the wall. I mean, when you said that, I was thinking... Well, surely there's a mechanical error. Surely something else has gone wrong. Nope. Surely there's something on the track. Surely some something because guys getting paid nope. this much money to drive cars that fast don't make those mistakes that often. Well, part of me thinks that thank God he's human, he's not a machine. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, you're right. I mean, there has been another two races where, the, where well, the, the season the Ferraris have had mechanical issues. And both drivers have not finished a race. So you'd sort of think that if you did get in front and you're leading by, you know, a comfortable amount of time, that you wouldn't make an error and put it into the wall. Because if there are mechanical issues, you don't really want to, when you're in a chance to win and pick up points, you know, massive points and challenge the Stappen. You don't really want to. So I'm seriously hoping, Ricardo, that with the clerk coming out and actually publicly admitting that he made a mistake and he's got to stop doing that while he's leading and and, and manage it. But then again, sometimes maybe it's about experience. Hmm. 
you know, like, I'm going to have to say this, I'm going to take a deep breath. <laughs> if it was Hamilton with a lead like that, he would make sure he wouldn't make a mistake. Yeah. But then he's been doing it for a lot longer. True. Um, and so, if, if he did make a mistake, it would be uh, somebody in the pit's fault. Oh, well, of course it wouldn't be his fault, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a positive in this, Ricardo. You know? <laughs> um, all right, mate. Hey, listen, uh, it's been, uh, since we talked last, of course it's been confirmed that uh, Pukekohe Raceway is no more effectively. Um, I know. And they're remodelling it, uh, you know, purely for horses, and uh, that is their want, that is their, they own it, and, 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 and I guess fair enough. Um how do you feel about it? I mean, is it time? Was it just was it just time? It was just one of those things. Well, I mean, I still think they're not going to keep horse racing there because I mean they'll just hide hide the whole place off. Eagle said, "Live with you, mate." In the next three to five years, it'll be sold off for a housing complex because the land is worth God knows how much money. So, um, but it is their right to make that decision. Um, I, I think it's one. It's, it's a really interesting thing from my perspective because I, God, when I was racing motorcycles way back in the day, so lots of fond memories there. I mean, I raced at the Marlborough Series around there in the back in the day that some of your listeners will remember when some of the, the great and the good came out from Europe and America and were racing there, and it, it's got fond memories for me. It's a race circuit, but I'm, I'm starting to think it's just like there, there are so many circuits just disappearing. You know, especially in America, you don't have uh, in, in New Zealand. You don't have the the street circuits that used to have in like well, Hamilton, Wellington, New Lynn. You know, like Linfield and, and quite a few circuits are all starting to disappear. And in, in Australia, like Oran Park, no longer exists. The housing estate, um, Amaru. It's almost like this whole encroachment of urbanisation. It's too many so people, so, Eric. That's and, the problem. Too many people. Well, the funny thing is, in New Zealand, there's not that many people. But I mean, but maybe every every place has its time. And all I can say is, thank goodness, Tony Quinn, whether you love him or dislike him, he is probably the savior of motorsport because motorsport in New Zealand certainly isn't. Bunch of dysfunctional um, oddballs, but. Um, at least Tony Quinn is investing money. He's bought up some racetracks here. He's built the one, you know, Highland Park. He's developed Hampton Downs, which I think um, the supercars will end up at because it's the biggest catchment area. I doubt supercars will go down to Highland Park in the South Island because it's just not the catchment area to make it um, financially viable. So I'd say that we've got a lot of hope. You know, there, there's new developments and he's, and Quinn's redeveloping uh, Taupo, the racetrack at Taupo. So I, there's hope. And, and maybe it's time, Ricardo. I don't know. Mm. Bukhoi, it's very old school. Um, the drivers love it. The sort of fans love it, but it's quite, well, especially with health and safety getting involved in motorsport now um, and stuff. So sometimes good things have to come to an end. Yeah. I'm sad. Mm. To answer your question, I'm sad. But sometimes you just got to go, just let things go. It's uh, best for what they... Uh, Hampton Downs is a track, um, and in terms of facilities and that, has it got everything they need? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, it, the, the facilities are, are... What's 
being built and has been built there, it definitely is. It's it's the closest thing to a European racetrack in New Zealand that you know that that we have. High praise indeed, Eric. High praise indeed. Um, uh, no, so, it is. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Praise where praise is due. Yeah. No, I mean, I was yeah, not taking away from it. It was just uh, it was that, that's very high praise, but that's great. Um, mm. We should talk supercars before we go, mate, because obviously the Giz is <laughs> Giz is going great. Uh, you won two of the last three, um, and this weekend they're at the Bend Motorsport Park. Might it be time to see another Kiwi shine? Because didn't. Um, Andre Heimgardner go well there last season? He did. He picked up his first win there last season. And it's funny you say this, Ricardo. I was just chatting to him earlier this evening. So I hope you said hi from me. Yeah. <laughs> I, did. I did, actually. Obviously. Um, but yep. the funniest thing is um, he's... I was trying to get out of him why he likes that track and mm. why he likes it and why he goes quick there. And he said he doesn't really know. It's one of those sort of things he said, it just suits his style. It suits his, uh, you know, his driving style and, 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 and how he sets up the car and the balance of it. But the interesting thing is this year, you know, he's with a new team and with a new car, but they have been going extraordinarily well. I think he's sitting sixth in the championship at the moment. Mm. So, you know, he's, he's at his favorite track, basically. So if he can pick up a bundle of points, and there's some of the uh, supercars, you know, top five predictions for a win. Um, Andre's in there, so there's a lot of a lot of positivity about him. And and I think it's a great idea that he made the decision to leave Kelly Grove Racing, whatever it was when he left, and and go to Brad Jones Racing because I think Andre likes the idea that it's a bit of a sort of a more of a family feel to a race car team, yeah. Than opposed to a you know a big sort of money making behemoth. It's just I, I may be wrong. I'm only making conjecture here, but it just seems to have suited him this season. Like suited him really well because he's you know this is probably so far. Well, yeah, well it is his best supercar season so far. Mm, yeah, I mean, and he got a, what, a fourth and a ninth um, last in Townsville last time mm-hmm. out as well. So he's showing some good form. He, I think he qualified fastest one of the practices as well. So yeah, looking pretty yep. good. So it, it might might not be the worst uh, worst option at the TAB this uh, this weekend, Eric, to uh, sort of you know sort of get the kitty going. I, I think if anybody's got a lazy fiver, they should stick it on him to win. There you go. Heard it here first. Easy, Eric Thompson. No, easily. Yeah. But just before you go, Ricardo, can yeah. I just mention that two other guys, yeah, Shane sure. Van Gisbergen, you, you touched on, at the Rally of Hawke's Bay, he won the first three stages comprehensively. And if it hadn't been due to a mechanical error, um, he would have won that the round of the New Zealand Rally Championships. I, oh. I'd say quite easily so you know like you think coming up to the round of the world rally championship that's going to arrive in new zealand later on this year wrc2 if you want to have a have a little in fact i would suggest to some of your listeners to get onto the tab and have a little look at what van gisbergen's odds are of winning the wrc2 category at around at the round of the world rally championships coming into New Zealand later this year, yeah, I actually reckon he will win that. 
And I'm saying that, and Hayden Padden will be racing in the same category. So, whoa. So I'm going to roll that one out. And the other thing is a young Kiwi, Hunter McElroy, in Indy Lights. The feeder to IndyCar is now second in that championship. He's had back-to-back wins. And it looks like he might win that IndyCar Lights Championship. And that's what Scott Dixon did in his first time in 2002. Won Indy Lights, went to IndyCar, and we all know what Scott Dixon does. And it looks like this other young Kiwi, Hunter McElroy, might be following in his footsteps. Wow. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That would have been uh, potentially three Kiwis in IndyCar next season. That would be fantastic. Yes. Good stuff, oh, Eric. Would that not? Good stuff. Mate. Sorry, mate. I just wanted to get those two yeah, in. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, but... By all means, by all means. No, good stuff, mate. Thanks for coming on again. It's always uh, good to talk motorsport with you. Go well, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank Cheers, you, mate. Ricardo. Thank you, Eric Thompson there with us. 20 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we'll catch up with Brett Cameron and talk about him signing for the Hurricanes for next Super Rugby season. It's 24 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. Coming up this hour, we are going to continue to talk rugby league. We'll hear from Manly coach Des Hadler, Hasler, the head of the NRL, and Peter Volandis as well. And maybe even a, a little bit of a time to hear uh, what Ian Foster's got to say as the All Blacks get ready to head to South Africa. And Brett Cameron joins us now. Uh, Brett, g'day and congratulations on signing with the Canes for next season. G'day, yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. It feels like you're jumping into that Hurricanes environment at a great time in your career, coming up 25, of course. Uh, it's a really good squad that Jason Holland has there, a mixture of the experienced guys like Artie and Geordie and, and TJ, but some really good young talent coming through as well. Uh, how excited on the prospect are you, and, and how hard did Jason have to sell you on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, no, he didn't have to sell me very hard at all. It was um, something I sort of always said in the back of my mind and somewhere where I would um, love to be. So I'm really excited to to be joining the group. And, and like you said, those experienced boys that are at the club and um, such an exciting young group as well. I think you could see the way they played this year um, was awesome. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You had a great season last season uh, with Aaron Smith at, at Manawatu and exceeded expectations for a lot of people, I, I guess. Um, there was a lot of talk about you then, but you're obviously committed to Japan. Was there any talk, any approaches from Super Rugby teams at that point to try and maybe get you out of that year in Japan and, and, and get you into the season just gone? Yeah, I had a, a couple of conversations towards that the end of NPC but um, like you said I was I was committed to heading overseas and um, I guess it was good for me just hearing that um, there was still you know a team interested and um, that was something that I wanted to strive towards um, for next season and and really grateful that the opportunity was still there. When you talk to Jason about coming back uh, to play for the Canes um, I, I guess uh, were you sort of taught you know have you talked about the fact that you're going to be the number one number 10 uh because i mean since Bowden left they haven't really been able to settle on one they've got some great youngsters coming through like aiden morgan but uh they haven't really been able to settle on one 10 to guide them uh who's nailed on every week um no certainly no no talk like that i, I think um aiden and ruben stepped out really well last year they're both um real exciting um, young players so I'm looking forward to, to working with them as well and um, 
yeah, hopefully I can I can bring um, something new and some different experiences to the team and, and look to push for that spot. Yeah, well, we should talk about that. I mean, uh, we'll get to Japan in a minute, mate, but what was it like for you getting to play outside Aaron Smith for a season in the NPC, or you know, at least half a season? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, awesome experience for me, and um, the group was very excited uh, to have him back. Um, just so good having such an experience um, ahead in the team, especially at nine. So it was pretty uh, awesome opportunity for me playing outside him and just sort of picking his brain for the for the couple of weeks that he was in, and obviously getting some great service from um, from the base. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. Um, <laughs> it's it, it, pretty much as good as it gets uh, going around. What about Japan, mate? I mean, uh, who were you playing with in Japan outside of the local players? And, and how do you find the st- style of play varies from, you know, what you're used to in New Zealand? Yeah, there was a few uh, foreigners from, from New Zealand there. Um, Sam Henwood, uh, ex-Canes player, and uh, Ben Nini, Morgan Mitchell, and uh, Cam Bailey, all from New Zealand. So it was cool. Um, getting to play with those boys and having them around. Um, I guess it was, yeah, it is a, a bit different. Um, obviously tough with, with the language barrier and whatnot, um, but it's a very quick uh, style of rugby. Rugby pro- probably not as physical as um, super rugby here, but, but yeah, very um, quick. I guess you're you're lucky in that you get you're coming back into an NPC environment and you can build into that cane season because it is something we've seen. I think we saw it a bit with TJ, saw it a bit with Bowden. I think even Brody Retallick to an extent. It took them a while to get up to speed uh, and physicality from a New Z- in the New Zealand game after coming back from Japan. Is that something that you've talked to any of those guys about for their experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, but unfortunately, we haven't had. Uh, any preseason games yet, but we've got one on on Friday for one or two. So I'm looking forward to to having a good hit out again before the season kicks off, and and hopefully can hit, hit the ground running next week. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned your age. You're only 25. You already have an All Black uh, cap um, uh, to your name, of course, uh, when you came on to that test in Japan a couple of years ago. Um, how much of your focus now is getting back into that All Black environment? Um, I guess it's not a, a real big focus for me. Um, obviously, for the moment, it's just focusing on on playing well for one or two and and going well there. And then, obviously, excited to join the Canes and get back to that Super Rugby level first. Um, and hopefully, just build some some consistency with my game. And uh, well, I guess comes comes from that and and the years to follow. Then. Um, yeah, that, that would be awesome. But it's I guess it's always in the back of your mind as somewhere that you'd you always strive to get back to. Well, I guess, you know, we're, I'm looking at it from the point of view of we've got Stephen Petafeta as the third 10 in the squad for the Rugby Championship, who's at the Blues. He's played probably as much 15 as he's played 10 uh, this season. Of course, Damien McKenzie's been playing where you are in Japan. And so it, it feels like, you know, you know, Bowden just over 30, Richie just under 30. We've got a World Cup uh, coming up and who knows what happens after that. Uh, I mean, uh, you're not that far away, really, are you, when you look at it like that? Yeah, I guess um, always after World Cup years, you never know um, what's going to happen with guys going overseas and 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 things like that. And I think it's probably the beauty about uh, that I've been overseas. It kind of um, reminded me where I where I want to be, and that's playing rugby in New Zealand. And um, I guess I've still got a few years that I want to be playing here. So yeah, it's always something to that I'll be pushing for. 
it's always good to get out of your comfort zone and go somewhere different. And you've done that with Japan. What did you learn about yourself up there? And what, if anything, has it added to your game? Um, probably just a, a bit of maturity and um, uh, just different ways of learning. I think you have to adapt to a different style of rugby and also just working with the foreigners that you've got around you. Um, unless you can speak a bit of Japanese, it's, it is tough going at times. But um, I think you have, a, you have a lot of time to yourself over there as well. So just reconnecting to my goals and, and what I want to achieve was something that I took out of uh, my time over there. How is your Japanese? <laughs> Very limited. Uh, <laughs> sort of stopped once I could get past ordering a, a meal and <laughs> the basics. Nice, mate. Nice. So what, what's, uh, you know, when you've got a weekend off up there, what's the go-to? Is Are you an Asahi man, a Sapporo man? Is there a, a Japanese drop we're not quite, uh, we're, we're not familiar with here that you enjoyed? Um, yeah, I suppose Asahi's probably pretty common. Um, the Karens are quite nice as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, mate, it's always always good to stay hydrated, Brent. Always good to stay hydrated. Um, <laughs> now, I know we, we've got you on to talk about signing for the Canes, which is great news, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you fitting in there because that was really the, the piece of the puzzle, I think, that was missing for the, the franchise last year. But, of course, you've mentioned you've got Manu or two, you've got the NPC uh, coming up, slightly different format this year. What's, you know, talking with the coaching group and everything, what's the goal for, for this season for, for Manu or two? Yeah, it's really, really exciting that it's gone back to that that format and it's sort of, you know, up for grabs for anyone to win once you get to those finals. So um, definitely finals is a goal and, you know, we've got to have the mindset that we're going out to, to get there and to win. So, um, yeah, that's our goal. That goal, get out there and win as many as you can. Do you know, uh, I haven't actually had a look through the squad list yet, mate, for Manawatu. Is, is Aaron Smith going to make any appearances this coming season or is he might be a bit tied up in black? Yeah, I think just the way it sort of falls is probably a, a bit unlikely that he'll be he'll be back for us, unfortunately, um, with the All Black stuff on. Uh, have you had any requests from a, a Mr. Mark Stafford for uh, I don't know um, signed signed memorabilia? He is uh, a, an absolute man with two turbos. Tragic. How works here with us on the station? <laughs> no, I haven't yet, but um, yeah, hopefully he gets in touch. I know he's. A, um, hard one or two supporter always good having a chat with him yeah mate he's a good man is Staffy and uh, yeah he is green and white all the way through I think if you cut him he bleeds green and white just quietly but um, that's all good now uh, Brett just before we let you go mate I, I like to do a, a quick five questions to get to know you a little bit better uh, are you ready for that? yeah sure alright mate if I grabbed your phone and scrolled through your Spotify what was the last song you played? Uh, probably something from Drake Something from Drake. All right. Okay. Bit of a hip-hop head? Yeah, a little bit of everything, yeah. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice. Um, okay, what about um, if you had the had the weekend off, you no training coming up, no games coming up, you could have a you could have a cheat meal. What's your comfort food? Oh, if I, if I really want to go um, a dirty one, it's probably hard to go past KFC. A few wicked wings. Can't beat it, mate. Can't beat it. That's always good. And if you if you're kicking back on that uh, on the couch with your KFC, what's on the screen, mate? What's your favourite TV show or movie at the moment? Um, always like to have a bit of live sport on, whatever's going. Um, and just yeah, haven't got really anything on the go on Netflix at the moment, but yeah, find a wee series. 
Yeah, there's there's a tennis commentator, Robbie Koenig, who's got this great line, and I I always remember it. He said, "The uh, sport is the greatest reality TV." Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I like it, mate. I like <laughs> it. Um, what about growing up, mate? As a kid, who was your uh, who was your hero? Who was the bloke whose jersey you wanted to wear or whose poster you had on the wall? Uh, definitely uh, Dan Carter, probably same as. Um, a lot of young guys that played wanted to play 10 growing up. Um, he was a bit of an idol and someone I looked up to. Do you think you modelled your game on him? I mean, are you that sort of 10, do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think probably when I was younger, I probably wanted to. But um, now I sort of just um, want to just be my own um, player and have my own sort of style, I guess. Uh, all right. Final question then for you, Brett. Who's the most famous person you've met? Oh, uh, that's a tough one, actually. I'm not sure. <laughs> All blacks aside, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah probably no one outside of New Zealand is. Sunny Bill, DC, Richie? Yeah, probably Sunny Bill. was probably a wee bit starstruck when I saw him um, first time. He's a, he's a unit too, isn't he? Because I, I remember seeing him on TV and thinking, oh, he looks big. And then I saw him in the gym one day and I was like, you are huge. Yeah, no, you realise that he is <laughs> that big when you see him in real life as well. Yeah, mate. He's, a, he's, he's like walking into a wardrobe, honestly. Um, good <laughs> stuff, Brett. Hey, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Best of luck for the coming season with the Turbos and uh, looking forward to seeing you playing for the Canes this season too, mate. Go well. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. It's 19 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. We're going to hear from Peter Volandis from the NRL and also Ian Roberts, the former Manly player, uh, before 11. Right now, though, time to hear from Ian Foster, the All Blacks coach who has been under a lot of pressure the last couple of weeks, spoke at rugby headquarters today ahead of the All Blacks jetting off to South Africa. How intense in the last couple of days, been? In terms of training, training, off training's been great. Look, it's been a, it's great to get together. And I said at the time we were, you know, clearly we, we didn't get what we wanted out of that series. So to come together and to actually get into work again is the, the best thing for this group. Very determined to do well in the next couple of games and um, can't work good. Is the key not to panic? Well, we're not panicking. I'm not sure about the rest of the people. Is your position untenable with that performance of the rugby championship or if you lost the medical? It's not something that I think about. I, I think about just doing the best I can in my role. In those situations, though, would you turn to resigning? Like I said, I don't think about that. My job is actually just to get excited about taking the team to South Africa. Yeah. Ian, how tough were the conversations with, with John and Brad? Oh, horrible. You know, there's no other word for that. But um, good men. And But I guess my, my role is to do what I think is best for the team. And and put the team first, and sometimes the, the, that, that's the detriment of an individual. So um, I don't think it's a massive judgment on them at all as coaches. It's just that we, we kind of need to make a bit of a change. There seems to have been a lot of chatter about the end-of-year review and some of the assistants didn't review very well. So if that's correct, why were they retained at the start of this year? Can you clarify? Oh, no, I think that's that's uh, that might be a little bit more... Um, media chat speculation than factual you know like we, we always review hard and um, we always review hard particularly 
you know, when you we had a year like we had when we're on tour, three and a half months, locked in hotels, it was a very unique tour. So how you read that was a little bit different. And, um, and everyone went away with some key work bonds and, and that's no different. So, um, you know, I, I still stand by that decision and I stand by this one. You had Last question. Keeping the mind on the board didn't either, obviously. No, no, we, we worked on the, through those decisions together. Has the board laid down any demands to you over these next couple of games, anything like that? No, no, they haven't. But um, oh, look, I, I, I don't need them to tell me what, what we want to do. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to play well. And, you know, with all the emotion around when, when you lose a series, it, it's easy for, for people to get to scratch here and poke holes and I, and I get all that and, and I accept all that but it um, doesn't change our job which is to go and get the group and play well. So there you go, that is Ian Foster. It was a very short interview, wasn't it? Um, considering he's the all-black coach and they're about to shoot off to South Africa and he won't have to talk to the New Zealand press again for a long time well, outside of the ones that are flying over, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, interesting to hear him talking. Uh, yeah, I think he avoided a few questions there but um, I mean the one about... Uh, John Plumtree and Brad Moore and the conversations he had with them, yeah, I'm sure they'd be difficult, but I can't help but thinking when he said, do what's best for the team. Uh, Steve Devine's uh, words echo in my ear, which is the All Black mantra is always, you just do what's best for the team. Uh, and if that's the case, uh, he said Ian Foster should be resigned by 6.30 tonight. That was on uh, the Sunday after the All Blacks test. That hasn't happened, so there you go. On one way street, it seems. A quarter to 11 here on SENZ. When we come back, we'll hear from Peter Volandis and Ian Robert. It's 11 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time earlier today. Peter Volandis, the head of the NRL, was talking around what's been going on at Manly with their pride jersey. Look, I respect the players' choice. You know, they've got religious and cultural differences. Um, and that's the beauty about Australia. We all have those freedoms. But let me say this, though. That one thing I take pride in with rugby league is we treat everyone the same. We're all human beings. Does, doesn't matter what your colour is, doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, doesn't matter what your race is. We're all equal. And we'll never, ever take a backward step in having our sport inclusive. But at the same time, we will not disrespect those players' um, freedoms. And they've got those freedoms, and if they don't want to wish to play, I respect that. But they are well aware of our policy of inclusion, and we take pride in it, you know, that we are inclusive and um, uh, Rebecca Frizzell from the from the Gold Coast Titans penned the word, we're the greatest game for all and um, and I'm proud of that so um, that's our stance at the moment. Is that a hard policy to prosecute though when players seemingly won't take what would most people would say is a pretty easy stance and wear a football jumper? Look, as I said one thing about Australia is we have freedoms, you know, and we should be proud of the fact we have the freedoms those players played our games knowing what the NRL stands for. They know that we're inclusive. They know that we don't differentiate between people's colour or their race or their sexual orientation. They know all that. So when they play the game, they've got that knowledge. If they withdraw, that's their right to withdraw. Um, but we're not going to stop the game or do anything different uh, because of their views on that jumper. You know, We'll continue on because that's what we're proud of. That's what we... Um, we do, and, and they're well aware of that policy. Look, Manly could have handled it better, no doubt about that. They should have been a lot more collaborative with the players. They should have respected the players. They shouldn't have just um, you know, sprung it upon them. So, look, I, I can understand the players' position. I really can. And um, you know, they've got those religious and cultural 
beliefs, and I, I respect that. And so Manly, and they admit themselves they could have handled it better. But I think Des Hasler shows some great leadership in supporting his players, and that's what he should do. And um, but at the same time, recognising that our sport is inclusive and it's for everybody. Look, it, I was unaware of it until yesterday, to be quite honest with you. It came to me late in the afternoon. Uh, so I was unaware of it because, you know, this, this round is actually uh, recognising women and the, and, the, and the enormous contribution women make to our game. So I was a bit surprised that this sort of arose in a, in a, different, in a different round, which is women's round. And if anything, if there's any negative, let's recognise the women and bring the women to the stage while we're getting this publicity. As I said, we, we, we are very proud that we are a game for everybody and that's, that's why I'm in this game. It's because I had a difficulty in being accepted as, as, a, as a migrant and Rugby League accepted me. It was inclusive back then and it's inclusive now and it's important that every boy and girl or man and woman can feel can go to the game and feel that they're treated the same as everybody else. So to be clear, would you be happy to have an inclusive round next year? Was that something you'd look at at all? Absolutely. As I said, you know, um, we are the greatest game for all, not just for a select few, for all. And if, you know, if we recognise those people, absolutely. You know, I have, I have no problem with that. And if you had one, though, would you be concerned about this happening? I mean, mainly a one-off, you're only confident in bringing that to this season at all. So would you be concerned about Look, as I said, we have freedoms, but we have policies, and every player that plays the game is aware of our policy. So, if they want to take that stance, so be it. But um, we're not going to ever take a backward step in the inclusive policy that we have. So there you go. That is Peter Volandi's talking uh, earlier today. Also talking today was Ian Roberts, the former Manly player, the first openly gay rugby league player, who originally was very proud of what his club was going to be doing and then had this reaction. I suppose the hardest thing for me when, when there's been so much pushback, and this is very personal to me as an older gay person because you know I've lost friends to suicide and, and the consequences of what homophobia, transphobia, all the phobias can do to people. You know, I, I, I just wish I could sit around that table with those players and explain to them that, you know, unfortunately there are kids out in the suburbs, out in the regions today, who might have, been, might have heard many stories in the last month, but I can promise you they heard this story. You know, and I don't want to start, I don't want to start um, quoting all those terrible statistics that we know about the LGBTIQ plus community with self-harm and those types of things. But they are the types of consequences that come when there's pushback with stuff like this. When there's discrimination, and pre this is what prejudice and discrimination do. Um, you know, sport's always been political. You know, sport's always been, you know, always been political. I mean, I made, I haven't prepared any speech, but I made some points. You know, you've got Peter Norman, Nicky Winmar, uh, Don Bradman, um, Kathy Freeman, sport has always been political. Sport's part of society, and society is political. You know, so th this conversation needs to be had. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, I just really wanted to say that while I was disappointed, I'm, I can almost see this as a positive because this is a starting point again for the NRL, you know, and to have this conversation about what Pride Rounds are all about and, and the essence of what a Pride Round is. You know, we had the Indigenous Round, we had Women's Round. 
You know, that these are all things to be embraced and be celebrated. The Pride Round is just that as well. There you go, five away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. And uh, that was Ian Roberts, uh, the great manly forward, of course, uh, the first openly gay footballer to come out talking about what's happened around the Manly Football Club, uh, the players uh, that have decided to stand down rather than wear the rainbow jersey. Uh, and it sounds like he's happy to sit down and talk to them, but uh, obviously gutted, thinking on one hand this was going to be a great way forward uh, with his football club, and uh, he's had it taken away from him. It is nearly 11 o'clock here on SCNZ. We'll be back at uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91